When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Monday, the 11th of July, 2022. And it is time, diggity donks, for Morning Combat. The best way to start your combat sports week. Hi there. I am merely one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C. And we usually pitch it over to the very loudly dressed Viceroy of Connecticut. We don't have him today. He's a little bit busy. But Connecticut is still in the house with the Iceman and the man in the hat himself. It's Chuck Mendenhall. What's up, Charles? I'm glad we're sticking with Connecticut, Luke. You know what I mean? I'm glad we're staying right here in Connecticut. This works for me. What's, yeah. the, what's the best thing about Connecticut that BC has never told me? <laughs> this will be a very short conversation. Uh, the best thing about Connecticut is its proximity to such cities as Boston and New York City. That's what the best part of it is, man. That's about it. Now, see, I don't know what part of Connecticut you're in, and I always bring this up. People from Connecticut tell me Connecticut's divided basically in two, and like one half, they're all Boston fans, and the other yeah. half is all New York fans. Which side of that are you on? I'm on the west side of Connecticut, and I would say it's right down the middle where I live. Uh, I would say there are probably more Red Sox fans on whole, but not by a lot, man. It is pretty much down the middle right where I'm at. Very strange, right, man. So what- you, and you can imagine the kind of hell I live through. Like I, I, I like neither of these teams, just like you. I was going to say, which of these fan bases is more deplorable? <laughs> Dude, I I would have sworn before I moved to the East Coast that the Yankees were the worst. But now that I live out in New England, I got to say Boston. And that goes across the board. All Boston sports, man. Those guys suck. <laughs> they shat, I, went to a, uh, I went to a Broncos game when Tebow got him into the playoffs. So, you know, back in that one year where he was playing quarterback for the Broncos. They busted out my back window. You know, because they, oh. they saw that I, they saw I got out in some like I didn't even have big Broncos. I'm not an idiot, so I wore like a Broncos hat only or something, and they still they busted out my back window. So I had to drive back, you know, two and a half hours, whatever it was, uh, very ice cold, no back window. Oh, that fun is times, the worst. Yeah, you know well, that fan base. I, yes, yes, we yeah, I mean that's entirely uh, you know <laughs> in par with what I'm accustomed to dealing with them uh, <laughs> in that sense. But good to have you on the show today. I appreciate you being here. For folks who are joining us, if you're watching on YouTube, thumbs up on the video. Please hit subscribe. Of course, if you listen on your favorite podcast platform, give us a nice review there as well. You can see on the bottom of the screen if you're watching live all of the various social channels. You can give us a follow there as well. Uh, we're going to get to, let's see, we have UFC Vegas 58 from the weekend. So there's a few things we'll get into there. Some big fight announcements we'll talk about. We'll get into a little bit of Showtime Championship Boxing at the end, plus everyone's questions. We'll do a little odds and ends together. But before we do all that, Chuck, I haven't seen you since last, <laughs> well, not last Friday, but two Fridays ago, I guess, right. at this point, because I didn't see you. It was the, it was the, the, the infamous beer house show how are you <laughs> well, what was your impression of that when you rolled up other than i was out of my mind 
well, I thought it was <laughs> there was big big time enthusiasm from your fan base. That was awesome. I was like, because I could hear the first thing I heard. I walked out of the casino and I could hear Brian Campbell chanting something about evil evil eye he was chanting evil and i was like whoa this is like you know portentous you know so i walked into the place and uh they saw me and they threw me a microphone and i jumped up there with you and the next thing i know this is all within about two minutes i had a margarita in front of me and yeah. uh and that thing was uh, carrying a load in it so <laughs> i was drinking that it was a lot of fun man i mean it was very difficult to hear it was very hot in there but yes. uh i love catching you in rare form man i was like i haven't i, I think maybe i've had drinks with you once on the road, uh, that, not like uh, really having drinks though, just like a quick drink, and yeah. uh, it was kind of fun to see you in rare form, man. I gotta admit, I enjoyed it. I think we did an MMA beat. I think it was like you, me, oh, yeah. Sean, and Ramundi. We were in a hotel and we That's drank right. proper. Uh, was it proper twelve? Is that what they call it? Jesus, I, I forgot about that. You're right. Yes, did, I remember yeah. that. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, have you, but have you, you were very restrained. This, this time you were very, like, you, you were letting go. See, that was the difference. Yeah. I liked that version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, not, not to everyone's delight it right. so turned out. But hey, some people yeah. loved it, and I'm glad you got this chance to stop by. We will do that again. We're thinking about maybe awesome. trying one in New York City, and if we do, you got to come out. I promise not oh, to have sure, as, many, as many skinny margs next time. That's <laughs> what you were drinking. They were very good, whatever that was. It was very good. Yeah, it was all right. They, but you're right, though. They, everyone was killing me for it, but I'm like, these drinks are a little bit heavy, but okay, neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> did you have a good weekend? Good good Mindenhall, sir. It was, uh, it, was a, it was a fun one, man. I'm very, uh, I guess I'm thankful that I didn't come back with COVID. Uh, I know that some people did, you, you among yeah. them. Uh, that yep. sucks. Um, but I mean, dude, I mean, it's the first time I've really been in a situation where you're, you're interacting with fans again, you're seeing all the fellow media, you're doing all that stuff. So it was just good, man. It felt like it had been forever and it really had been like two and a half, three years since I'd really been to an event like that. Um, so just saying hi to everybody. There was tons of fans, man. I just thought it was awesome. Nate Diaz came out to an event, um, and talked to us for like two hours, which was kind of a ridiculous highlight. And you know, who was, who was at yours? Did you say hi to Steven Seiler? Did you see he was there? I did not see he was there. And also, Joaquin Buckley was there, and I didn't see him either. Yeah. I, you know, listen, a, I, was focused, I was focusing on those margaritas. <laughs> well, your focus was on the right place, but I did, uh, just for fun, I saw Steven Seiler and I took a photo with him. Because I was like, dude, I, you know, I haven't thought about Steven Seiler in a long-ass time. So that was, that was kind of cool. I mean, it was just shit like that. You kept running into people that you're like, wow, man, how you been? Yeah. Um, and it was, it was like that pretty much all weekend. Very quickly, before we transition to the topics here on today's show, you did uh, have a conversation with Nate, or I guess Nate had hung around and everyone was having a conversation with him. How was the, uh, how is <laughs> Nate? Like, what did you get from that experience? I've never seen, so I, I haven't had a ton of interaction with Nate um, over the years. I've, I've definitely interviewed him, but not in situations where you're just kind of shooting the shit with him, you know what I mean? So he was, uh, he was very cool, man. He just kind of sat there and held court. We were at the, it was at the Aria, and, uh, or is it Aria? I never know how to pronounce it. Aria. Aria, yeah. Aria, yeah. We were at the sports book, which was already closed down. So kind of, there's like, you're in this big empty space and um, there's like 20 people with his entourage and a few people that we were with. And uh, he just kind of held court, man. He was telling stories. What I was, uh, I kind of can't emphasize enough is how much he pays attention to everything that's going on around him. He's, he's very, very bright when it comes to this stuff. You wouldn't really know that from his, from the uh, how he projects himself a lot of times in the public. But he was a big MMA beat fan. He mentioned you. Uh, we talked a lot about that. Actually, he has it on the phone, like old episodes that he likes to uh, to look at, I guess. But uh, it was. It was just fun, man, and I realized he kind of pays attention. He was referencing columns from way back in the day. 
Jesus. I mean, just stuff like that. I was like, that. It, who would have known that? You know what I mean? Who would have known that Nate actually pays attention on that granular level like that? It was pretty cool, man. Was it uh, talk soft or walk softly, carry a big sick? I can't remember what the, the phrase is. <laughs> My brain doesn't work. But Dude, he yeah, was... You, he, he, he was the one wanting photos, and so I, th- I thought it was awesome because he's like, you know, let's jump in a photo, let's do this, let's do this. Um, you know, and I think you saw the the Helwani one where he's kind of boxing him, or yeah. you know, whatever you want to whatever you want to call that, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, he was just he was in he was in a good mood, and I guess just talking to his manager, like you know, sometimes you catch Nate on these types of days, and you can be around him all day because he's just uh, you know he's in the mood to talk and hang out. So we caught him on one of those days, man. It was a lot of fun. Cool. That sounded well. It sounds amazing, and I'm glad he got a chance to go out there. And yeah. I'm sure the whole thing was a big success. So, um, but we do have business to attend to today. So I want to remind everyone. Of course, if you want to watch Showtime Championship Boxing, if you want to watch BC when he does Showbox or Bellator or anything that Showtime has to offer, boy, do we have a deal for you. Showtime.com, 30 day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. It's up to you. Of course, you can get some stellar merch. Do that at morningcombat.store. I believe all the new merch is out. I didn't talk to RJ. Uh, I'll let me make up something. RJ Dunkle Donut. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't talk to him today. But I believe we do have a bunch of new stuff coming out here either today or pretty soon um, this week as well. And then, of course, if you want to reach the show for Wednesday's Fan Subs, Friday's Dead Wrong, or just to reach out to the producers, morningcombat at gmail.com. Don't, don't be like Dear Luke and Brian when you write morningcombat at gmail.com. I don't have the I don't have the password for that, and I wouldn't read them anyway. So uh, <laughs> address them to the producers; those are the ones who get them. Okay, uh, I blew it, man. I blew it. I should have been wearing some of my gear. Courtney hooked it up. She sent me some stuff, and I, I didn't even think about it when I got dressed. So sorry about some, that, man. I should have been, been promoting. You are. <laughs> By the way, that was that was a fun one, man. Your team over there, very good, very good. They, they, they make some magic. They make magic. Yeah, they do. Uh, they, they, we're lucky to have them. All right. With that in <laughs> mind, let's talk about the weekend's fights. You ready to go? Yes, let's do it, man. Let's do it. Topic number one, this is where we will start, of course, UFC Vegas 58. The main event, Rafael Faziv defeating Rafael Dos Anjos in a pretty reasonably contested fight up until the beginning of the fifth round at which point Faziv drops him and then finishes him off with a shot on the ground. There was a little bit of controversy, I think, at first about whether the stoppage was early, but alternate angles show that it was not. It was a clear and clean stoppage. And on top of it, you had both men talking about it on social media and the loser in this case, Dos Anjos, acknowledging that it was a, a clean win in that sense. Okay, but not the controversy. I don't, I don't care about that a whole lot, Chuck. So let me start yeah. with, with you. When you think about this win and you think about Rafael Faziv, what is your biggest takeaway from Saturday night? Well, I thought that going into this fight, he would have to answer a few questions. One being it's a five-round fight, right? Like, how does he handle himself? Uh, It's a step up in competition. He's going against a guy. I mean, this guy's the original OG. I still think that Dos Anjos has the best pound-for-pound resume of anybody. Now, whether he won or lost, but he stood in there against the very best at the peaks of their careers, uh, just constantly. So Fiziev was just kind of a, the next guy in his uh, his willingness to stand in against these guys. So, But knowing that and being a gamer and also the fact that I really believed RDA, he's just a smart guy too. Like He knows how to beat um, certain talent, and I thought that he might try to drag this to the ground and, and, uh, and make it that kind of fight. He certainly tried, and I think that Fiziev answers some questions in that regard, just kind of keeping it standing. I think in the fourth round, right, was the only time that uh, – RDA was kind of able to successfully maneuver that whole thing. But I just, 
in general, man, just composure, just the way he uh, he handled himself. I, I was really impressed when he fought Brad Riddell um, previously. Just the stand up. I knew, you know, a lot of people know that he has that stand up and his just his footwork, uh, you know, switching stances, all the stuff he does so well. I thought that was all pretty much in evidence. He just looked really good, man. And I think when you fight a guy like RDA and you're able to put it together over the course of a fight, and especially to get it done in the championship rounds in the fifth round like that, where it kind of feels like there's not a finish coming, just really impressive stuff, man. I thought he kind of checked all the boxes of um, is he ready to jump up into that like top, you know, top five contention space. I think he answered those questions. Yeah, I, I share your estimate um, and your assessment, I should say. The takedown defense for Fazeev was 95% coming in. What is it now? Let's see. How much did this fight change it? It's now at 92%, so a slight dent in it, but still about <laughs> wow. 90, which is yeah. really remarkable. And to that point, even when you have, there was one time, I think, there was a clear one-time pickup takedown in that fourth, right? And then yes. there was another one where he was able to kick out the post leg. But even then, Fazeev just didn't allow him to do really anything with it. So, like, the takedown defense wasn't perfect, but it was pretty close. That finishing combination where he switched stance through combination, throws the body kick, throws the left hook, and then throws, excuse me, throws the right hook, and then uh, then throws the left over the top, and then caught him clean. Uh, RDA didn't see it. Dude, that's just super money. It's not even, like, power carrying late more than it's just his athleticism carrying late, and then obviously his creativity is still there. It didn't, it didn't fall off. I got to tell you, though, though, my biggest takeaway, and I, this is a bit of a broader conversation, we'll talk about RDA in just a second, it's that the guys in that top five who we associate as, like, the kings of lightweight, yeah. your Chandlers, Poiriers, Fergusons, to an extent, McGregor, he's down, I think, I think, in the teens at this point in terms of ranking, but, you know, we kind of hold him a little <laughs> bit in that space. And why uh, he's still there, I, I don't know. Right, exactly. <laughs> I got to yeah. say, we we can't declare that their day is done. Poirier and Chandler might fight. Anybody who has to fight Poirier has a difficult fight on their hands. Anybody who has to fight Chandler has a difficult day on their hands. But, dude, the wave of replacements, they're not just, like, coming over the hills. They're here. They're here. Yes. The march to get – the march to replace the existing sort of firmament of 155 guys. Obviously, Islam has already been there, and Charles is sort of re reborn. But the rest of that crew, your Gamrots, your Saryukians, now you can add Fazeev, the Ismagulovs. Dude, do you get the same feeling that I do? It's like the it's not a matter of if they're going to take over. It oh, is yeah. merely looking at your clock and seeing how much longer the sand and the hourglass has to go. And even like Jalen Turner, right? Who's like sh showing up. Right. I, I agree with right. you 100%, man. I don't think I've ever seen it quite like this. Now, generally speaking, when there are guys who are staples at the top of the division, we saw it in light heavyweight forever where... There were just some uh, some relics from earlier eras that were holding down the top, you know, five to two, and then there would be John Jones or whatever. It's tough to break in there, and there's almost never a moment where there's an equal amount of guys who just look like they're going to hostile takeover once they get there. Once they're able to break into that space, you just feel like these guys are going to um, it, it, they'll author a whole new rankings, right? Because I feel, I feel like most of these guys are dog-eared to basically... There's a few of them that I'm like, they could be champions. They'll definitely be contenders. They'll definitely challenge for a title at some point. And to have like five guys, five, six guys coming up like that, I agree with it. I think you worded it perfectly. It's like they are at the gates and they're coming up. And and we're getting it now where guys like Gamrot, who fought a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, is calling out Justin Gaethje because I think Gaethje is the one dude who you can kind of poke at a little bit and be like, hey, let's, if we're trying to get the olive branch to get up into that space, maybe he's the right guy to uh, to challenge. And Fiziev did the exact same thing. 
I love it, man. Uh, at some point, and very very soon, probably by the second half of this year as we get into it, that's that's going to be the case. All these guys we're talking about are going to be right there uh, in that in that contention. So I love it, man. It's it's a happening division. It's like the, what's going on in that division, it just activates the imagination because most of these guys have not fought each other. So it just kind of opens everything wide open there. When you when you saw Saturday's main event, did you see – okay, I, do, I definitely see title contender in Fazeev's future. No denying yeah. that. I, I just find it, – it, see, it seems very difficult to believe that a guy who's done what he's done, which now includes finishing Rafael Dos Santos, yeah. won't contend for a title. Do you see him winning one? Oof. Now, because of the because of the talent we just were talking about, man, I, it might be tough for him to do it. Um, I could see it, but I feel like there are guys who will know how to how to fight him. I, you know, he's still green. We, you, you get the, you get guys like this who kind of make very. I don't know about quick, man, because he's been there. He's been doing it for a little while, and he's been looking good. It, but it's a fairly rapid ascension into the space. You just feel like a couple of these guys are very bright fighters. They're very solid fighters all over wherever the fight goes. They might be able to game plan for him a little bit. And I feel like he hasn't really faced that during this run where he's got a guy who just knows. And what is his plan B? What is his plan C uh, in those situations? I could definitely see him getting it, though, man, because I just feel like his stand up is that good. I feel like you mentioned his 92 percent takedown defense. I think that that's pretty remarkable. Um he just does things really well in there, man. And and to finish RDA, who hadn't been finished, I think, was Eddie Alvarez, right? But way back in 2016, to finish mm-hmm. RDA, that's a statement, man. That's a that, that tells me that he can hang with these guys. But that's a lot of experience toward the top there that he's going to have to get through. Yeah, if I recall correctly, I mean, I can list off some of the losses that RDA has where he didn't get finished. So, for example, he lost to Kiesa and Edwards, didn't get finished. How about Kambaru and Colby Covington at 170? True. Didn't finish him. That's crazy. Tony Ferguson didn't. You're right about Eddie. Eddie did. Now, that was also coming off of the, you know, he had a really bad weight cut at that time. He wasn't making 155 very cleverly. Habib couldn't finish him. Gleason Tebow couldn't finish him. Let's see. Clay Guida got the submission from the jaw injury. Tyson right. Griffin couldn't finish him. And then Jeremy Stevens in his literal UFC debut. That's wow. it. Did you That's even mention it. Leon? Leon Edwards? That's crazy, too. Yes, Leon Edwards, but that wasn't just yeah. a decision. That was the, the Chiesa and Edwards fight were next together. Right, right, they, right. That's it. So to put away a guy like that in the fifth round, and to your point, yeah. he had just had a really good fourth round, at least, you know, relatively speaking anyway, good fourth round. I mm-hmm. thought, you know, I thought for sure Fazib was kind of fading there. The commentators were talking about it's it, and then here, he comes man. right out in the fifth and blitzed him. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, I thought the exact same thing. I actually got up, went in the kitchen for something. I came back and I see him celebrating. I'm like, what the hell did I miss? So I had to catch it all on replay. But yeah, man, to come out like that, and that's tough, dude. After you fought 20 minutes, a guy like RDA, to come out there and still have that in your tank to go do that and, and to land that effectively, that combination, really beautiful stuff, man. What do you make of Fazeev as a possible, like, celebrated figure because he does speak english it's it's still pretty broken but it's it's usable yeah and more to the point he had that back and forth with connor on twitter like one thing i'm wondering is when you get <laughs> these guys coming up the ranks your saryukians your ismogulovs and so forth the the question is not are they talented enough to be in this place i mean they're taking over the water they're, they're, do these guys all from like you know eastern europe or you know parts of asia depending on how the map looks yeah dude they're, they're invasive species you know what I mean? Like <laughs> once they That's start, so true. 
once they start setting up in the pond, all the other wildlife goes away. That's kind of how I yes. feel about them. However, yes. there is a question about w- to what extent these guys can actually be turned into stars. And it's not just a language thing because you and I both know Habib's English was was good but never great, far from it. But it didn't matter. He had a style. He had a, he had a certain swag. He had a certain, like, I smash yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Can these guys not be Habib? But do you wonder, whatever their talent level is there going to be any corresponding issue? To, and, and, and I want you to like to focus on Fazeev in particular, maybe elevating them to enough to be a pay-per-view attraction. Hmm. That's really, that is a toughie, man. I I haven't seen it. Like, I feel like Fazeev has something about him that's a little more charismatic than some of the other guys. Like, um, I feel like he wants to play the game. That's one thing. Like, and he's not forcing it. Like, I think he's staying within his uh, his natural you know, promotion, like how he how he wants to be on camera and all that stuff. So I feel like he's kind of doing okay. It, I have to wait and see how that plays out. But some of the other guys, it's going to be tough, man. I mean, I think that you're right. It's, it does feel like an invasive species because you're used to a certain thing going on. And now all these all these cats, man, with OVs in their name <laughs> and Gamrod, <laughs> I mean, Polish, right? Like, it's like they, they all have, uh, they're all more action than words right now. And but they all have that feel to them that like they're going to do something uh, remarkable in the sport. I don't know. After the Izzy criticism, for instance, he's one of the great promoters in the game, but it sort of backfires in another way when I, maybe you don't live up to whatever the expectations you're putting down are. Um, sometimes I'm like, in our new age, in the way that we're going at ESPN, the new audience, do they care more about the action in the end? Like I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of that because people get more technical. They watch it. They kind of understand. Uh, I'd like to think this anyway. They, they like to understand what they're watching a little better, they, especially with betting boom. The betting boom makes people pay attention to technique way more. Like You understand guys' weaknesses if you're betting on them and you see him getting carved up in some way. Um, it's a very interesting dynamic, but I think that most of the guys you're mentioning, if they're pay-per-view attractions, it'll pro- probably be because they are so dominant or uh, you know they, they're just that good like Habib in the end. Uh but I don't really see any of them where you're like, he's a cult star because of what he's saying or, you know, acting or calling guys out. I, none of the names you mentioned has that kind of thing going on for them. I will say one of the bad things about it's interesting you make one of the points that's good about betting, namely that people are paying more attention, which yes. I think is on some level true, at least for the, the degenerates. However, on the <laughs> other hand, how many times on social have you seen? You know, some fighter who just lost on Twitter or Instagram or something come on and be like, hey, you know, it didn't go my way and thanks for the support. And then they get lit up in the comments by the degenerates being like, hey, yes. you ruined my parlay. Oh, that's so stupid. Yeah. If you send a losing fighter a complaint because they busted your parlay, just know there's no level below that that is uh, where, where loserdom <laughs> exists. Like, that's it. That's loserdom that so personified right there. And we're seeing it more than ever now with all of the, all of the gambling sites and the and making it legal. I just feel like I see that so much now, man. And I hear people talk about it all the time. Oh, I was a, I had a four teamer and he blew it for me or whatever. And it also puts all the you know the <laughs> the judges on blast, right? Like so the the judging becomes more of a big deal in the sport in terms of that sort of thing. But you're right, I can't stand it. It's just such a like it's. The game wasn't invented for that kind of very personal status on how you're viewing it. You know, like I, I'm like, if you lost, sorry about that. But uh, I don't want to hear it, man. I don't want to hear that. I do think, though, seriously, I've, I've talked to a lot of guys who just got into betting fights 
but they immediately start to understand what the guy's strengths and weaknesses are by seeing it rather than being told. You know what I mean? Like they see it in real action. And so they have legit questions now that are actually kind of um, logical questions, reasonable um, doubts about whatever is going on with the matchup style, which is kind of remarkable. That's the phenomenon of today. I feel like people are actually learning the sport through betting, which is bizarre, man. Which is sad. It's like, how did you learn yes. math uh, through gambling? Actually, that's how I learned math and statistics. <laughs> and math. Yes. yes, I bet my mortgage uh, on blackjack. All right, <laughs> come on, house. Now, there is another question related to Fazeev, which is who he called out, and he called out Justin Gaethje. And the reason why that's interesting is because Justin Gaethje did just have, I think, or is about to have no surgery. But it's also the guy who the previous winner in the, a a lightweight main event on fight night called out in Mateus Gamrot. So Gamrot mm-hmm. and Fazeev have both called out Justin Gaethje. If you were matchmaker, which direction would you go? That's so tough, man. Is it? I, I, I think I would ultimately go Fazeev. I think that's um, the right answer. Yeah. yeah. I just, I think that he's, uh, I think that where he's at and, and also just the, the kind of prospect when you think about that fight, I think it's a lot of fun. I do think that they match up really well. And I think Fazeev would, I mean, that's an action fight. And both both guys are getting, like, you know, they're known for their end-of-the-night bonuses, however you want to take that. Like, I think that that just makes for a very good fight. And I think if you're trying to clear a hurdle into that top space, obviously, a guy like Gaethje leaves you transformed a lot of times. Like, uh, you go in, you come out a different person than you went into a fight. But I think that if you're a very good striker like Fazeev, you might you might see something in what you could do with a, with a Gaethje fight and, and say, like, you know, that's my money fight. So... From both perspectives, I like it. I really do like that fight. Yeah, it's hard to go wrong in either direction. I just feel like with Gamrot... Okay, again, you could make a case for either, and neither fight would be bad, just as a general blanket statement. I have a feeling Gamrot might wrestle him a lot, and that would be good for Gamrot, obviously, and he could certainly win that way. In fact, I might might favor both of those guys to beat Gaethje, to be honest with you. However... However, I think the way Fazeev will fight him, which is standing, you know, not directly in front of him, but, you know, standing with him mm-hmm. and having to deal with some of that punishment as he dishes it back out is just going to be <laughs> A, a little bit better for the fans, and B, we were talking about can these guys be stars. Fazeev's already got a little bit of that cooking, yeah. a little bit of it. Beating Gaethje, should he be able to do that in the way in which he would fight him, would go a lot further in my mind. I agree with that. Yes, if you're trying to uh, clear a hurdle into, I guess, more of the mainstream or whatever you want to say, like into broader consciousness in the fight game, I think that going through Gaethje, because people pay attention to his fights, his style, all that stuff, um, a lot of people, too, just think he's a berserker that's, if he gets solved, it's usually... If he gets solved, it's usually after he puts you into trouble, like with with Charles Oliveira and all this stuff, so it's there's a little bit of a test... Um, and with your chin and all that stuff, I think that all of that would come into play. But man, I would love to see it. I know that, like for you, as a as a an analytical mind in the game who likes the technique, I bet you this would be a, a very fun breakdown afterwards. Because I think that there would probably the tables would probably turn three times in it, and there'd be turning points and plot twists and everything. Um, I'd love to see it. I really would, man. I actually, in in prospect, when you think about certain fights, you get that that sense of uh, what they would be able to deliver. And I think that my immediate thing when he's talking about it and I was thinking about Fiziev, uh, Fiziev, I, mean, I keep saying Fiziev, but like Fiziev uh, when he's... Uh, uh, I, I guy still told don't us at the awards, that's how you pronounce it, but I have no <laughs> well, idea however, that's right. I, I, everybody keeps pronouncing it differently, but, uh, you know, just, just contemplating 
just contemplating that fight gets me excited. So I love fights like that, man. If that's the one that happens, I'd be very, I'd be pretty happy about that. Uh, okay, so let's go to topic number two because we've been discussing Fazeev, but now it's time to discuss the guy who really um, has been the much longer mainstay in this division and beating him tells you a lot. It's RDA. So now RDA did have two wins coming into this fight, and in fact, he looked pretty good in both. However, both of those opponents were coming in on very last-minute notice, and here he takes on Fazeev and certainly did not look bad. You could say maybe won a round and kind of gave a good com competition throughout it up until the fifth. But at 37 years of age, it's not exactly clear what the path back to a title would be. I saw some folks being like, all he has to do is win one and get back there. I don't really believe that's a fair <laughs> representation of the hurdles that he faces. So, Chuck, at 37, yes. certainly not washed, but you can see the rest of the pack beginning to move up. What is a good next move for RDA? He has fought such a who's who. At so many, like at the highest points of so many of these guys' careers, even when he beat Cerrone back in Orlando back in the day, I felt like Cerrone was the best he'd ever been, and that seemed like a danger thing. RDA beats him. Um, I feel like he's just stood in there against the best of the best for so long. I would love, to be honest, for him to take take a step back. If it, I, I'm guessing he wants to stay at lightweight, take a step back, fight one of the guys, because honestly, that top 15 in lightweight right now is just full of monsters, man. Jalen Turner's barely breaking in there, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's full of monsters. I would like to see him basically fight a guy who's below that top 15 and see where he's at. Because, honestly, man, like, when when a guy like um, Fazeev has to get through RDA, what is the definition of that? Sort of the gatekeeper role, right? Like, you're starting to be cast in that role. I don't know, because he'll be 38 years old. He's, I think he's got an October. He'll be 38 the next time he fights, and... I don't, I don't know. I just, you, you've been a champion. You fought everybody. I think your legacy is now based on all of the thing, all of those things. I don't really think that you're going to make another run at the title. So if you want to hang around, take a guy that you should beat, you know, you'd be a favorite against somebody lower in the rankings and just kind of get a sense of where you're at. But uh, I just don't want to see him going against one of those, uh, one of the monsters in the top 15 at this point. Yeah, or a lower-level top 15, like uh, 11 yeah. to 15 or something like that. I, I mean, they're all monsters well. even there, man. Jesus. But, you know, the truth, yeah, it's true. But, you know, it's interesting that we have these conversations because I was thinking about, you know, Max Holloway being a bit of a crossroads. Now, he's only 30, but he's obviously got 10 years of UFC fighting, which is mm -hmm. um, a significant amount. But in, in thinking about RDA, listen, at the end of the day, it's really a function of what he wants. And so if he wants to keep going, he certainly has the fighting ability to beat good fighters for, and it seems like, for potentially a little while. So this is not me saying he can't win fights. He can 100% win fights and probably several of them, depending on how the matchmaking goes. But to the point that you raised, this guy has fought everybody across two weight classes for a very long time. He reached the championship level. He has not gotten necessarily... He got fairly close at lightweight, but he's not really all that close, depending when you look at who not only is ahead, but some of the bigger matchups that can be made. And so while I have to say the answer is, well, whatever he wants to do, I would tell you it wouldn't... It would break my heart in the sense that... <laughs> something spectacular had come to a close but he has to ask himself what is really attainable right what is actually achievable yep. what is going to be the cost to get there even if you can do it and is it all worth it I, I don't think that considering retirement is the worst thing in the world and everyone makes retirement out to be pejorative oh, like oh you can't do this anymore no let me be very clear he very much can win fights I firmly mm -hmm. firmly believe that he is still a not just a UFC level fighter but a high level one he did not look bad in this fight at all at all no no but 
if the goal is the title and you have to think about what you have to do to get there at age 38 at 155 pounds, even if even if that's achievable, Chuck, the grind yeah. to do that, the difficulty of it, is it going to be worth it, especially for the money? <coughs> I have questions about that. I really do. Yes. Do you? 100%, man. And I mean, I mean, I suppose he could... If they gave him another guy in that top space, I, I can't imagine the UFC would actually do this at this point. But, I mean, who knows? You never know if if something falls through and he jumps back in there and he scores a win. I suppose you could be like, well, um, he's back in the mix, even though – or he's back in the relative mix with all these guys um, based on that. But I do feel like when you see a fight like this, he was very competitive. But, again, he was – he wasn't – he wasn't going to win the fight, I didn't feel like. I didn't really feel like there was a big threat for him to win this fight – it, as it was rolling. So at at that point, you're kind of just seeing that he's on the tail end of his career. So I, the extension of that is you don't really need to see him going for the top prize anymore because you know those other guys are passing him by. Like you mentioned, it's like the blood dim tide, man. Those guys that are coming up are insanely good, insanely good. And I think I would favor all of them, all the guys we were talking about earlier over RDA. So I just... If he wants to keep it going, maybe you you know you you go out on a, a good note. I wouldn't mind if he basically called it a career right now. He's one of those guys too where you have some big what ifs. He was supposed to fight Conor McGregor. He never got that one. You almost wonder the trajectory of his career if he had fought, uh, been able to stay in that fight and had got it. Um, he was he was supposed to fight Islam. That probably wouldn't have gone too well for him. But I mean, again, it's just a, it's a testament to him wanting to fight the very best and not saying no to guys who. Um, everybody else is like, nah, I'd rather not fight that guy. You know what I mean? I think his legacy is that, and he's done that. I don't think he's going to change too much if he's going to keep going, but at the same time, I think he's who he is, right? Like, he's done what he's going to do in the sport. I don't need to really be thinking about him in the title picture anymore. I know, And I know there's going to be fans hearing this being like, oh, these two guys are out of their mind, suggesting that retirement <laughs> is the – is it, because people in their mind associate retirement with, oh, we're washed, decrepit. Right can't do it anymore infirm and he's none of those things but what they don't think about is dude I have seen generations of fighters come and go and I have talked to them five sometimes ten years after they've retired a lot of them don't look and sound the same you know it's oh, not man. necessarily a huge drop-off but you know this as well there is no one wants to talk about the quality of life after stuff and dude we're not talking about a guy who like kind of pitter-pattered around this dude fought every hammer along know, the man. way that he could across two weight classes. And, by the way, I think no one ever talks about this. I think he changed Anthony Pettis after that win and took the belt from him. Like, he whooped him in that process. Oh and so we're talking about a guy who's done incredible things and can still do very, very high-level things. But what's attainable? What's the cost right. to get there? How doable is it for what he's going to be getting paid? These are not pay-per-view points he's getting. There are some questions to be asked there. By the way, I'll pitch this back to you real quickly. You mentioned sure. Conor McGregor. I wonder if that might be an interesting fight to come back to. Do you think? Because <laughs> they would be not too far apart in the rankings. They do have history together. That's a fairly winnable fight, yeah. you might imagine, in either direction, right? What do you think about that? Well, let's put it this way. That would be like... Um a career achievement fight for him, right? Like you'd be like, all right, cool. Here's your award at the end. You get Conor McGregor. It's a big payday, all those good things. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that, but I, I always wonder because we know how Conor McGregor plays the game. One, once a guy kind of like, once we're having a conversation like this about a guy, um, you know that his druthers are not really 
into that. I, I know people could point to the Donald Cerrone one where they brought him back and Donald was on the clear tail end of his career when Connor caught him. But I'd like to think that Connor is like they, they're going to listen to him. And I'd be a little surprised because as a B-side, Dos Anjos isn't exactly like the guy who's going to, you know, uh, rival you and, and go at you in a press conference and all that stuff. I would be surprised if Connor was really cool with that. But if I'm if I'm being honest, man, I mean they're they're kind of in the same boat in a weird way. I would I wouldn't mind seeing that fight. And you're right. I think that they have that history. They've went back and forth before. I think that it just kind of if you like clean resolution or having some kind of resolution to a, a situation, even if it's years later, uh you, you I don't know why you wouldn't like that fight at this point of their careers. Would you favor RDA to win? I think I would. <laughs> At this point, I think I would, man. And it's really just because I, I, I just don't know with Connor anymore. How can I just don't feel like he's, I just don't feel like he's going to be the same guy. Plus this layoff, it's no joke, man, to come back from what he's coming back from. RDA, I think this would be like his Super Bowl, right? Like I think he'd be like, okay, I'm going to definitely want to beat this guy. I think he would, ha- he would be training. Um, harder than ever, and I think he would show up ready to ready to beat him, and I think he would beat him the way he'd need to beat him. You know what I mean? Like um, play it smart. So yeah, I would. I would probably f- favor RDA going into that. Yeah, I guess I would too. And you know, we'll, we'll we'll have to see what happens. He could get another fight and put together another two three fight win streak. I guess the point I'm trying to just really drive home yeah. to the audience is, and I'm a huge believer in RDA. Like I really yeah, think man. he's done incredible things for a very long time, but it's. Um, the window to make a count of it is short in this fight game. It doesn't come usually at 38, 39, at 155 pounds. It's very, very rare. So uh, if not uh, altogether unheard of. By the way, sort of a sidebar here on this. Mm-hmm. This is Where are you at on John Jones? Because this is sort of like my view. Like we're talking about Connor. It's like, dude, John did not look great at the end of his light heavyweight run. I thought he lost the Dominic Reyes fight. I mean, obviously some folks think he lost the Gustafson fight. I disagree. I thought he won that one. But he you know, between the Santos, the Smith, and then the, the Reyes fight, he didn't look great. He's taken a ton of time off. You know, I realize he trains with a great team, and uh, he's got, you know, now Henry Cejudo around him and Stan Efferdine and a lot of different guys. But I got to tell you, I'm not declaring that I think he can't beat Stipe or that he won't win when he comes back. I, I don't know what will happen. But this idea that, like, oh, he'll just pick up where he left off, I, find, I am very skeptical of that. Where are you on that whole equation? I was thinking about this recently, and I think I'm very skeptical as well. It's just really the passage of time. Like, you mentioned this. That's a long time, and I agree with you. So if you were trying to defend John Jones going back to those uh, those last ones, you could say that he was bored. You know, like, these were these were woodwork contender types. They weren't, like, the sexy matchups. They weren't guys, like, where he's trying to make history. They were just the meritocracy fighters coming up um, who, who broke through. So... They wanted to win. I think he did just enough to to bat them back. I kind of agree with you, though, man. I've watched that uh, the Reyes fight a couple of times. I thought he lost that fight. So it's just he's coming out of a situation where he didn't look his best. I think I remember talking to Sean El Shadi about this. He was he thinks it fairly clearly that there was a decline going on already. That's very possible. But to go into a situation where now you're going to heavyweight, I thought that the biggest motivator would be like, hey, everybody's going to doubt me. I'm finally on the other end of the doubt. Uh, going into a fight, I think that Miocic would be um, the favorite. I'm not sure what the odds would be, but like I, I feel like he'd be the favorite going into that fight. That puts John Jones in a whole new situation. I thought being motivated that way might actually bring out whatever we're waiting to see from John Jones again. What's le- you know what's in there for him to do? But dude, the passage of time, I just it's so much time, at, uh, uh, and it, it keeps going by, and I just 
I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I, I think it's just combined with the way he has looked, and then the passage of time, and just I don't know where I don't know where his head is at. I think the the biggest intrigue would be that right, like going into this heavyweight. Like, what, what does John Jones look like? What is he gonna? That what you know? What's in his mind? What is his? Does he want to conquer the division? Like, I don't even know, man. To be honest, um, but yeah, a skeptical is the right word. I'm skeptical as well. All right, before we move on from this particular fight night, last question. The opening bout on the main card was uh, Michael Johnson taking mm. on uh, this malarkey guy out of... If you're, by the way, if you're Australian, this won't mean anything to you, but like our current president, who, you know, he's, he's, he's old. I mean, he's very old. <laughs> he says malarkey all the time. That's mal- Every time I hear this guy's name, I'm always thinking of old-ass Joe Biden. Being like, That's oh, my malarkey. God. Okay, but John it, does it say bullcorn, too? Does it bullcorn? No, I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> My dad has all these old phrases that you don't even hear anymore. Like my dad, uh, you know, my dad told me this one. He was like, "No one tells." It's a. He wasn't talking about like his grandmother or or my grandmother. He goes, "No one tells grandma how to suck eggs." I'm like, "Dad, what the fuck does that even mean? What kind oh, of man. like people call me boomer? I'm like, which fine, I'm old, but like, there's levels to <laughs> there's yes. levels to washingness. And let me tell you, my dad's at the king of that hill. Um. All right, I love it. But there was that opened the main uh, the main card. Controversial scoring again. All all the busted parlay folks are just you know slamming their fingers on the keys. What did you think? I, you I heard it? I heard I heard some on this one particularly. I heard about this fight from degenerate buddies who are like uh, you know pointing this out. But yes, um, you asking how I scored it? Yeah, um, I I thought that so. Johnson got a very clean, and for just a minute, like, a very clean knockdown, and it looked for just a minute like the fight might be over, right? Like, I, it looked like a danger. If you're playing the game, it was like it went into the red um, at that very moment. Now, I know he also got caught toward the end of the round. Yes. But I didn't I didn't think that um, I didn't think that was enough. Johnson had outstruck him, I, I believe, even officially on the, you know, it looked that way in the real time. I think the, the stats backed it up. Uh it just looked like his round, and I think when you score a knockdown like that, where it looks like it's almost over, it, it was hard for me to kind of give it the other way to Malarkey because I don't know how you do that. I know he was hurt at the end, but I, I scored it 10-9. So I gave him the first and the third because the third was fairly clear, just like the second was the other way. So I had it 2-1, to one, uh, giving 1-3 one and three to Johnson on that fight. Or by the way, I think I called him John Malarkey. It's Jamie Malarkey, so I apologize. Jamie, yes, that. sir. Yeah, but um, I scored it for Johnson as well. I thought Johnson had won the first and the third. Round two, pretty clearly a malarkey round. If you look at the numbers, 45 to 18. Now, yeah. again, these are numerical totals, not qualitative totals. In round one, by the way, it was pretty even. Uh, 20 for malarkey, Johnson 18. And everyone's like, oh, well, malarkey had two more. But, like, what does that mean? That is, that, that's, that's basically the same. But this is my whole point. Yeah. It's like, listen, if you lost money on a bet, I understand being upset about it. I really do. But I this was close. This was close. Was. The split decision was almost inevitable. Clear round three for Johnson. Clear round two for Malarkey. Round one was clearly headed towards Johnson until he got he ate a fairly decent shot. I still thought, to mm-hmm. your point, Johnson did the great work. But, dude, every time we get one of these, it's like the judges are incompetent and my parlay got busted, and I'm like... <laughs> Don't bet on MMA, motherfucker. Know, this is what I this know. is. This is MMA fighting. This is this is the experience over time of what you're going to get. Do not be surprised. One hundred percent, man. And if it like let's say it went out of sequence, if it, if the, everything had stood the same, 
yet um, it was Johnson who basically got the last, you know, that that last combination off and, and kind of hurt Malarkey. You know, and it's just the reverse. I think Johnson wins the round. I think it's just that you saw the guy hurt at the very end of that round that swayed it. You know what I mean? It's just one of those situations. It's so weird, man. I mean, MMA uh, judging is just a, it's obviously like we could, you could go on about, you could do a podcast about judging after every single card, right? Because there's always mm-hmm. something. But this particular one, if you reverse the order, I bet Johnson wins that on the scorecards. It's hard to say for sure, but I'm like, I think it was just, um, all right, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that you would, you just, it's, it's like that. Like the last guy you see wobbled and all that stuff is kind of what you go with. And also this one, it's like people are like that. That result was unfair. And I'm like, maybe yeah. <laughs> unfair results happen all the time. <laughs> you, know Every what, card. you know what I mean? Like, what do you want me to yeah. say? And again, first of all, first of all, it was close. So like to the extent it's unfair, it's not very unfair. I mean, the results are dramatic because you lose half your check and all that kind of shit. Like, yes, that part really, really sucks. And I get and again, you and I both thought Johnson was the guy who had done a little bit more. But at the same yeah. time, it's like, dude. Are you under the impression that the best guy always wins or that the judges always get it right? If you want to bet, you are betting on a sport where the judges may not have a great look. They may not be very dialed in. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe that, you know, who the (laughs) fuck knows? This is what you're dealing with. Make better bets is what I would tell folks. Different sport. Different sport. Yeah, different sport. Bet on basketball. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Last thing on this card, and then we'll move along to something else here. Uh, co-main event from UFC Vegas 58. I'm going to try to pronounce this guy's name. I'm sure I'm fucking it up badly. But Kyle Bohalio basically controlled Armin Petrosian in the co-main event for UFC Vegas 58. And he's got a bunch of interesting tattoos. Now, he does speak a level of English that he could, <laughs> let's say, really leverage for better media opportunities in ways that, you know, Jose Aldo never ha- has been. So let yeah. me ask you. Controlled this guy. Has looked very good in the UFC. Um, seems ready for more. And I will say something as I pitch this question to you. I I have a feeling that the UFC is trying to get as many young 185ers moving up the chains as fast yeah. as they can because either Izzy or Pereira is going to sit on this for a while or whatever. I think <laughs> Izzy probably will sit on this for a while. They need some fresh blood up there. So I do think he's getting a bit of a push by virtue of that. So let me ask you, what's what's yeah. your level of upside for Bohalio? I think it's there, like what you're mentioning with the lightweight guys. I feel like uh, you know it's it's hard to distinguish some of them in terms of their personality and charisma. But when you're talking about a guy like this who has what the fighting nerds, um, you know, anti-bullying thing going on, I feel like people are paying attention to him as a person, which always increases the rooting interest because they care about the guy. They want to see how he does. So this was a unique situation. I thought that uh, if anything. The way he beat him was impressive, but at the same time, not impressive because, you know, he goes in there, he controls the fight. I think that he saw a one-dimensional fighter in Petrosian. He knew what to do. He knew how to get it done, but I didn't really feel like he put him in enough bad spots. You know, like, especially when you're saying, hey, he's a kickboxer, I'm a jiu-jitsu grappler guy, I'll take him down, and you're not able to finish him when you're saying that he's deficient on the ground. It can go both ways. It would have been nicer. I think that the UFC would have liked it if he got through that fight a little cleaner, like maybe a little more emphatically. But ultimately, man, he's a smart player. Like he mentioned it. And I, I love guys who go out and he's like, I'm not a dumb fighter, man. I'm, I'm going to fight the way that I need to fight to win. And uh, why not? I mean, we just watched Izzy, the guy at the top of the food chain, right, who basically did the same thing on a different level. So I'm like, however you got to get it done because you want to keep that trajectory going north. 
um, you do it. I do think that he has a personality and a story that translates very well. And I agree with you about 185, man. They need to have new guys getting up there. So he's got he, he's got a uh, he, he can be expedited into this conversation if he if he keeps it up. I think he could be a player in the division at some point here. Yeah, so I mean, he's got four fights under Zufa, two with the Contender Series, and then in his second UFC fight, he's in a co-main event. Granted, on a fight night, well, that was not a very big fight night, but still, <coughs> um, he got one. But he's decisioned both of the fights he had in UFC, and then the initial one in Contender Series was as well. I mean, here's the point: I think he's obviously UFC level, and he's an interesting prospect. Yeah. But to me, it's like, dude, he's super green. Super green. Yeah. Like they're pushing this they're trying to get the bananas out of the uh the you know, you go to the, the, the produce section in the groceries and it's like all the bananas are green. It's like let's just get those now. It's like yes. that, that might eventually be a tasty banana, but right now right. it's it's not necessarily all that. Can't ready. even peel um, it. Can't even peel it. Can't even peel and you peel it and it's like all hard and stuck to the thing. <laughs> you know, it's like that, that, that's kind of where I feel like we're at. It's like they 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 really want to pump some fresh blood in there, and I get it. And he looked good. Like there's no, I don't really have much to say about it. I guess you could say about the performance that it wasn't a lot of striking going on. Kyle Bahalio landing a total of twelve significant strikes in the entire fight: four in round one, two in round yes. two, and six in round three. That's not enough to beat very good no. guys, like really elite guys. That's not even close. So yeah, there crazy are crazy about that. The very beginning of that fight, he comes out, and obviously he's he's setting things up for himself. Like he knows what he wants to do, but he he struck with him, and I think his hardest shots were landed in the first exchanges. He actually looked like he was going to be on par, and obviously it would be stupid to just stand there uh, and trade with a guy who's a kickboxer like that. But he actually looked decent. Maybe he needs to trust his hands a little more. You know what I mean? Is what I'm trying to say. Like I, I didn't really feel like he looked bad in the moments you saw of him standing and trading there. No, he didn't. Again, I, I don't have much to say in the way of like, oh, this is yeah. terrible and, and this will always hold him back. But rather, he had a guy pretty outmatched on the ground. I mean, Petrosian was not his equal on the ground at all. And, you know, controlled him for long stretches, four and a half minutes, two, point, two, and, two minutes, 47 seconds in the second, and then nearly three minutes in the third. I mean, this is a lot of control time and control time from a dominant position. Yeah. But uh, this is not the kind of thing that screams title contender right now, nor, <laughs> nor should it. He is two UFC fights in it's just I want to be very clear I I like the guy I think he's very good I can't wait to see what he does again but I saw some folks being like oh he's a future star I'm like you don't know that you don't know that it could be true no it's way too I I don't know it either but I can't declare it to be true is what I'm saying he's definitely got a good personality I think that he's 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 just a guy you watch right like you're going to watch him to see how he does it but yes to, to declare that he's going to be you know um, the next big thing. There's a lot to be seen there still. He, I mean, he needs to go against some guys who are like um, that are no names. You know what I mean? Like guys who are going to test him in other ways. So yeah, jury's still out on that one. All right, let's talk about some of the big fights that were announced here in topic number four as we continue the show. So there's there were many that were announced, but there were three that I kind of wanted to pay attention to. I'm going to go a bit out of order in the way I put them here. Uh, I believe it's the Abu Dhabi, upcoming Abu Dhabi card. Mm-hmm. Sean Brady, it looks like, I think ESPN had reported this, is going to take on Bilal Muhammad. Now, Sean Brady, of course, coming off that big win over Michael Chiesa, and then you had Bilal Muhammad beating uh, Vicente Luque and a bunch of other folks recently as well. Uh, Bilal Muhammad, a guy I have slept on but has really proven me wrong, proven to be a force at 170 pounds. Brady, I've been high on for a very long time. Uh, Chuck, yeah. your sense of this matchup and what is at stake? 
That's <sighs> a great fight, actually. I think that sometimes when with with Bilal especially, I know he wanted that fight with uh with Hamzat, right? Like you you want to kind of punch up, you want to go up um, towards where you're wanting to go. But I actually think this fight kind of makes some sense from both sides. Um, I like the idea of Sean Brady getting like he's getting the guy that he wanted. Uh, but he's, I think, where he's stationed at five and zero. This is one of those old school matchmaking things because you have a guy who's uh, five and zero in the UFC against a guy who's won seven in a row. It's momentum against momentum. Um, I don't really know who was a better name for Bilal to actually face that would be available. I and I actually think that Sean Brady has some good juice right now, like because of where he's at. Like he, you know, he looked he's looked very good in his last couple of fights. Um, that Jake Matthews one, I mean, like he just, I the way he dominated that one before, you know, I was like. You know, that was an eye-opener. So I think that he's got some good juice in that sense. It just, I don't think Bilal loses anything. It's not a crab-wise uh, crab motion to beat a guy like Sean Brady. I think it actually makes a very big declaration that um, that you are the guy, you know, who's uh, who wants that title shot or should get that title shot next. Awesome fight, man. I, I think Sean Brady... I'm sure. Have you done like one of the uh, the breakdowns for him? Like, have you uh, have you watched him critically in terms of that sort of thing? Or because I feel like he's I, I got have not like to put together. A, yeah. yeah, I haven't put together a presentation on it, but yes, I've watched him okay. and talked with him privately about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I find him fascinating. I, mean, I think he's good everywhere. I know they call him Brick House. Like, he just looks like he can go for days. I feel like he's super strong. I don't know if it's conveyed um, in his fights, but I just feel like if you were actually sparring against a guy like that, I think you'd be like Jesus. Um, it just looks like that guy. So I, I, I feel like I'm, I want to see more of what he's capable of because I feel like he will go on a big run. And who better, honestly, than to take a guy like Bilal who's that tough, who's on a good streak. I feel like this is a test, man. And so when they made this fight, I knew it was going to happen. Um, I thought it was one of the a really good piece of matchmaking. Well, I got to tell you, uh, we, we had Michael Chiesa. We have a room service diaries coming out with Michael Chiesa, which, by the way, the nice. fans are going to love because he drank beer the whole time, and it was a whole thing. I mean, love that dude. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. And, you know, Michael Chiesa at 170 is a big, strong dude. Like, you see him in person, you're like, damn, my man's been in the weight room, you know? And we yeah. asked him, we asked him, like, what was so hard about fighting Sean Brady? Because, dude, Michael Chiesa had success on the feet in that fight, but couldn't do shit in the grappling. And he was like, dude, you just, he was, he, you, he couldn't believe how strong Sean Brady was. Couldn't believe. And so think about that for a second. Like, remember, <laughs> this is the guy in Kiesa that hit the one arm Kimura on Carlos Condit, mm. like with his huge back and everything. And Brady was like so strong to him that it was, it was overwhelming. Like, Brady must be crazy strong, you know? Yes. But, dude, I'll say this about Bilal Muhammad. He always comes in shape and. He knows how to win rounds. He knows exactly how to apply his game. He knows exactly what his assignment is from moment to moment, from sequence to sequence. He has been there with very top guys in a way that Brady has not yet. So I'll sure. tell you this. I think Brady is the guy to win this, and it does more for Brady than it does for Bilal, so I give credit yes. to Bilal for, for taking the fight. But uh, it's a tough one. It's a close one. This is a real big test of exactly how far Brady Excuse me, yeah, Sean Brady can go yeah. with this skill set, I think. If you can go and dominate, let's say, Bilal Muhammad, it does make <laughs> you think, wow, maybe he could beat Colby. Maybe he yeah. could beat or give Kamaru a tough fight or something like that. I think you're right, and I'm anxious to see that kiss thing because, honestly, when I watched that fight, you kind of got that sense. Um, and then with the, the Jake Matthews fight before, like I felt like there was that existential moment when you're like, dude, I don't know. 
I'm not sure how to to get on that. I don't know how to beat this guy. Like you could kind of see when it was like uh, mm-hmm. he was just like I don't know what to do with this guy. Like how do you get out of this this situation? What can I hit him with? Like it just and we and I think Matthews is really good. So the the bottom line is yes, I agree with you. I think that uh, Bilal is just a he's a dog man. He's uh, he's going to bring it pressure wise, all that stuff. But you wonder if he kind of breaks in that fight, what that does say for Sean Brady. I think that this. It's like perfect for Sean Brady, right? Because I I don't know the rankings. I don't have them in front of me, but I believe if you want to look at the rankings and, and believe in it, yep. that Bilal is like five or four. So like you're leapfrogging right in there, and I think that that's the perfect situation for Sean Brady. And it's a great it's a great thing for the division because you got now a guy who, um, you know the 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 new blood, right? The new blood coming up to to kind of challenge those guys who've been up there a while. Yeah, you're right. So Bilal is currently, this could of course change because I don't know if they've updated the rankings just yet, but he currently sits at five and Brady at nine. Although yeah. Brady had complained to me that he was, I think after his win over Kiesa, he was something like six or seven. And then just due to inactivity, he kind of kept <laughs> getting bumped down. But he wasn't trying to be inactive. He just, no one would take fights with him. So this yeah. is what I mean. Like Bilal Muhammad is risking a lot here. Now it's a huge win for him if he gets it, obviously, but. Uh, he is risking more than what I think Brady is, and so you have to really give the guy respect for that. Dude, Mo- Muhammad has never had, a, like, this fucker has nothing but tough assignments. In I his, know, dude. In his welterweight run. I know. It really is commendable. I hope they're greasing his palms under the table. Like, hey, man, just take the fight, please. You know what I'm saying? I totally know what you're saying. Okay, <laughs> another fight that was announced. Uh, this will be for September 17th. It'll be the UFC main event, I believe, on a fight night card. Corey Sandhagen returns. And takes on Song Yudong. This was reported first by MMA reporter Marcel Dorf. Mm. Obviously, Sandhagen is a guy I'm sure you and I have pegged as someone who could be a title holder. I have a, a, a tremendous respect for his abilities. But old Song Yudong out there has really, really turned into something special. This is a hell of a fight. Give me your sense yes. of what you expect. So, you know how I was talking about the momentums of the last fight, right? 5-0 five, five versus 7-0 over the last bunch of fights. This is a weird one in the new matchmaking sense because Song Yudong, I think, is just coming into his own 24 years old, looking very good, um, and now getting an assignment where I think, you know, this is, again, one of those leapfrog moments for a guy who, if you're going to showcase, if you're going to style on somebody and you're able to do that against a guy like Sandhagen, it puts you right in there, man. But at 24 years old, he's a phenom if he does this as well. I think that people would really be paying attention to him, obviously, as a, as a true contender. And Sandhagen is in that situation where he's lost a couple, but they're, you know he's going against the very best of the best. So as a bounce-back fight, this is a very dangerous take right like he's he's going against a guy who could uh you know put him on a spiral where now he's lost three in a row and a guy that we had i think the same as you i kind of i circled him to be a champion at some point in this division would then have to be in a huge hole uh trying to get out of it it's a very tough assignment um but i actually i i love it in another sense because i think sanhagen is a guy who's very resilient mentally and i think that you know, some guys get affected by losing streaks and stuff like that. I feel like he's one of those guys who would pack it into his motivation. He's going to show up in the best, you know, the best form he can show up. So another, I mean, I love it. Like the, some of these, some of these fights that are coming out, the matchmaking is awesome, and I think that this one is right up there with him, man. To me, this is a great fight for either guy because it, we start with Sanhagen, right? So Sanhagen, if he wins, obviously you get into the W column. That's nice to have, but. The bigger issue is that, you know, he needs a tough opponent and a respectable opponent, but it was pretty clear that because he fought Jan and he fought Sterling and he fought yeah. TJ, and I thought, he won, I thought he won the TJ fight, but it was very mm-hmm. close, and again, 
this is MMA. Like, close fights happen. Decisions don't always go the way you expect them or believe them that they should have gone. And so he has those three losses, and it's pretty clear. It's like, okay, you can give the championship guy. I mean, the Sterling fight didn't go very well, but, you know, he gave Jan and he gave Dillashaw in particular very, very tough fights, mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, at least for certain stretches of it. And but he was he was he was left wanting. It was there was a level above him that I think was pretty clear at that point. So now he needs to retool, and you don't want to go too far back. You still want a very difficult fight, but you want someone respectable. This is exactly that. This is the kind of win where you can, if you beat this guy, you can and should be very proud. It's a significant win in that division, uh, and it gets you back on the path to really reclaiming a possible title future. So it's a, it, it really threads that needle in just the right way. On the other hand, uh, if your song Yadong. Corey represents something that's a little bit difficult for him, like Corey's movement and his stance switching and his angles and his in and out sort of style of attack. That is something I think Song Yadong is going to have a hard time fighting. However, if he can beat a guy like that, a guy who is, I would argue, a much more modern and movement-based technician, obviously he has the power, but it would represent not just beating a very good fighter, it would represent a kind of fighter that you would might, like, for example, if he didn't have the Sandhagen mm-hmm. fight and he was taking other fights on the way up, you wouldn't really get this question answered all that much. Like, what does he do True. with a guy who can set angles and traps on him in the way that Sandhagen does? You beat a guy like that and you answer a ton of questions. And as I mentioned with Sandhagen, like, Song Yudong, if nothing else, and he can do a lot more, but he can thump too. He's a big, powerful guy. So you get to answer and, and set right a lot of different things in motion depending who you are here. Yeah, man. By the way, like, is there a favor, uh, like, he's an agent now, too, isn't he? Like, that dude is still yeah. wearing a ton of hats. He's a- agent, he's still, like, uh, still Team Alpha Male, right? Is, is he coaching? Like, yep. it, it seems like he's, he's up to a million things still. Yes, we asked him about Song Yadong, and you can imagine yeah. how Brian introduced the question. I won't spoil it for you, but, oh my. <laughs> you know, Br- Brian asked Uriah Faber about Song Yadong, and I can only tell you that it was, uh, depending on your view of Brian's humor, Either very hilarious or very cringe. So I feel like it's real split down the middle, man. He's <laughs> real split yes, down the middle. But, I love it. But but dude, he's he to your point, like Song Yudong has put together like great wins. He has put together like he's really, really turned the corner. He's still super young. This is I mean, not just a quality opponent if he gets the win, this would be evidence of like real possible title future if you beat Corey Sanhagen. Oh yeah, man. And twenty four years old. I mean, come on. He's like he's he That's gets crazy. into that conversation at a very young age, and I think that we don't see that as often as I think we did at one point. Like I felt like you know, guys in their mid twenties sometimes would uh, show up in these uh, in big spots. I don't see it as much. It seems like most guys are near thirty now when they finally break through because it's just so difficult to do it. You know what I mean? So uh, it would be he'd be one of the younger guys to be in that position for sure. Yeah, I mean, we all take, uh, we don't take for granted, but you really lose sight of like how insane it yeah. was that John Jones was like tossing people around, you know, 21, 22. It's like, yeah, man. that's insane, but he did. Uh, and then yeah. last but not least, this one's interesting for women's flyweight. Mackenzie Dern is going to be taking on Yan Xiaonan. This will be October 1st. By the way, the Bilal and Brady fight will be uh, UFC 281. Uh, in October, this will also be on a fight night card. It'll be headlining, and Mackenzie Dern takes on Yan Xiaonan. This was first reported by ESPN. Obviously, Xiaonan is coming in off back-to-back losses, uh, but um, I got to tell you, old Dern out there has looked up and down, depending yeah. on how you want to look at it with the Rodriguez and the Torres fight, because she had great moments in either. But then, yeah. she, you know what's amazing to me is this far in, she is still beating good fighters. 
but her game is still wildly lopsided. What, <laughs> yes, what is your is. sense about this fight? <sighs> I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's a fight set up for McKenzie, I think, in the sense of if she's able to um, do what she does and get through it, like you could make the case then that she's right there. I, the, the Marina, I don't even know what's going on with Marina Rodriguez at this point, um, but she's got victories over both of these women, um, so she should be. Probably next. I don't really know like what's going on with uh, with Carlos Spars at this point. But in terms of this matchmaking, I feel like the eyes are still on Dern, right? Like I feel like she's one of those people who, um, you know, she was a decorated jiu-jitsu player, and I think that we're waiting to see how far she can take this thing in the UFC. And she's been kind of a marvel in a weird way because she was having all that uh, issue, all those issues making weight, but then she has a baby, and now she doesn't have those issues. Um, it's just kind of like, uh, it's not been a usual career, but I feel like she's going to put herself into a big spot here. This is already a big fight, but I think that if she wins this, I think she's, you know, she's probably as close as she's ever been to getting that, uh, that title shot. And I'm always interested to see how she's kind of evolving in this sense, but I agree with you. Like so far, it's really just an extension of what she's been doing. She looks a little more polished, right? Like she's able to get, um, get things to her domain a little better, um, her entry points and all that stuff for uh, grappling and jujitsu, but like I, I still feel like she's relying heavily on her one big strength, which she's a throwback in that sense to the earlier fighters who only needed the one element, right? So this will be a good one because I think that um, you know Yawn is uh, is well rounded, and I think she'll test her in a lot of different ways in this fight. Yeah. So uh, by the way, to dead wrong myself, I said women's flyweight. It's not. It's strawweight. Obviously, Dern right, sitting right. at four in the rankings. Yan Shaunan sitting at five. So that's probably the biggest reason why they got paired. And it's like, dude, if Dern can't, she can do some stuff on the feet for sure. But like, if I told you she would never get a takedown and never even threaten on the ground, would you be like, oh, she could still win? Probably not. You'd be like, oh, well, Shaunan's <laughs> yeah. going to win that one. Right. You, know, you were asking about Rodriguez. The issue is uh, Zhang Wiley got that win in her last contest over Joanna, mm-hmm. uh, so then the winner of that was promised a title shot. I mean, Rodriguez to me is the is, I mean, you know what's rightful anymore. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Rodriguez has the better winning streak or something up to this point, if, if you want to say that. But uh, Zhang Wiley got the favored situation right, by right. not just beating Joanna but beating her handily, and then Carla is out, so or you know taking a break or whatever uh, to get he- healthy. So this is like. It's not number one contender, but it's like one space behind that. But the thing right. is, it's like if, if it's like I can totally see Dern winning, but I have a really hard time looking at her overall game development and saying not that she couldn't persevere here, persevere here, persevere here. But if I told you like what the game was and you hadn't seen it, and I'm like it's super lopsided. It's like is that person going to be the best out of arguably the most competitive women's division? in MMA. It's mm-hmm. like, maybe, but I don't know. I'm just sort of skeptical about the whole thing, but she still finds ways to keep doing it, I guess. You know, it's pretty amazing. It's true. I wonder, I mean, th- this fight, maybe it tells you something more. Uh, the bottom line is I, I am too. It's She's taken it pretty far, and I do feel like she kind of has the UFC seal of approval. I think the UFC would love to get her uh, up there and into a title shot. I mean, at least that's the way I felt like she was kind of groomed early. It was like a uh, um, she was getting more promo material than some of the other people in her position, and I still feel like that's in play. Like people kind of know who she is, um, but yeah, man, I feel like this will be this. You may see it. You may see it come out like where she's put into spots she hasn't been in. I mean, that's always the the thing here, and um, 
Yeah, it, I think it's a good one, though. I, if Dern's able to do it, I think that it gets that much more intriguing. It's funny that you mentioned Carlos Sparza, though. Is it is it a nose issue? I, now that you're bringing this up, like she has a broken nose or something like that? Um, I forgot all her injuries. Yeah, all right. Well, whatever. Her. It's kind of a mess at the top of the division, but obviously, like, one of these people will uh, will jump into that conversation, I guess. I got to tell you, too, like, I all we always kind of pegged, fairly or unfairly, Dern as like not the second coming of Rousey or that the UFC wanted exactly the same things out of her. I don't think that's true. But I do think they wanted something like that, right? They wanted something yeah. where they had, you know, a uh, someone who's reasonably attractive, who's got this amazing grappling skill set, who's young and vibrant and blah 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 and all this kind of stuff. She <laughs> checks a lot of the boxes that Rousey yeah. checked. And I hate to sort of comment on women's appearance in this way in a professional context, but the reality is what the reality is. So <laughs> it, is, it um, is. There's a reason that some of these yeah. uh, some of these women end up on like the ABC showcases and things like that. You know what I'm know. saying? Like it's just. It's, the but way it's it so goes. weird when I have to explain this to other people. Like yeah. I don't talk about my job outside of work unless I have to. But my neighbors <laughs> have sort of picking up on what I do, and so when they see me, yeah. they ask me, and then like you know, it t- sort of turns into things. And they're like, "Oh, what about so and so fighter and this one?" And I'm like, "Well, it depends to an extent on how good they are, and also does the fan base." Find them attractive. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just, you know, well, you have true. to, it, it's just, it's, it's a really unfortunate but relevant <laughs> consideration. Anyway, not the most dominant one per se in this yeah. conversation. Yeah. I'm just saying there were some parallels, let's put it that way, made between Rousey's career and let's say Dern's potential. And some of those are still very possible, to be clear. The Yan Shao Nan one isn't the ultimate test, but if she beats that, dude, there's a lot of ways. She, even though she lost to Rodriguez, honestly, mm. let's say this. If she goes in there and, let's say, demolishes Yan Xiaonan, mm-hmm. does she leapfrog Rodriguez? That is very possible. I think that that's entirely possible because yeah. we know that it's not based on the merit. You know what I mean? And I, I and that fight was close, right? It was a split decision when they fought. I believe it was a very uh, close fight. I haven't went back and watched it again, but it was a it wasn't that definitive. So yeah, I could see a situation one hundred percent where Dern leapfrogs that. Bro, you know how awkward it is to go to like the park with my daughter, which I can't because we all have COVID in the house, which is yeah. super wonderful. But when I when I normally go, and someone will walk up behind me, a dad in his Crocs will walk up behind me and be like, "Yo, I love the show today with you and BC." Oh I'd be like, "What the fuck?" Dude, <laughs> Oh man, I get it. I'm sure I get it enough where um, I know what you're talking about, but I'm sure you get it a lot more. You're a very, uh, you know, you're a very tall man and very distinguished yeah. looking. So I feel like, uh, you know, you stick out a little more than I do. But uh, but yes, that is very weird. And it's like you just don't want to turn on and talk about it. I agree with you 100%. It's like the last thing you want to do is have casual conversations with everybody who recognize you about MMA. Man. I know. It's like, do you think I want to talk about takedowns yeah. at 5 30 p.m. when I'm pushing my daughter <laughs> on the swing? Like, I do not uh, know about that. Fun times. Uh, All right. Uh, Last but not least, there was a bit of boxing over the weekend. I know that you're not the biggest boxing fan per se, but we'll talk about it here very quickly. Ray Vargas sort of moving up a weight class, now becoming a two-weight champion, beating Mark Maxayo for the WC featherweight belt. Now, he gets it done via split decision. Um, Chuck, any thoughts about this one at all? If not, Uh, I can do the heavy lifting here. Well, you can do the heavy lifting because this is your domain, but I was able to catch it. I thought that uh, Vargas was... 
I don't get enough. I don't get to watch enough boxing. That's the problem. I, I love it when I watch it, and I love this type of fight, the smaller guys, because the exchanges are just so ridiculous and um, everything that was going on. I thought Vargas was controlling the fight, honestly, into that ninth round before um, you know it gets dropped. Yeah, dropped yeah. yeah, it gets dropped, and then it becomes a different kind of fight. But I ultimately agreed with the decision. Um, but it was fun, and I, this is what you guys keep me honest. You you have me checking in on boxing from time to time, and I need to do that more. And this was a fun one for me. I know. Man. I wish more MMA fans liked it because I got to tell you, the more I, I actually have a point I want to make here in just a second. But boxing is great; it's especially great right now. It's obviously very different than MMA; totally different sensibilities. But um, for this particular fight, just for the folks who are the boxing heads out there, I, I thought that uh, I, I agreed with Steve Farhood's scorecard. I gave the first couple of rounds probably to Maxio, and then after that, I thought Vargas took over. He was doing this bit. Do you remember actually the Michael Johnson Dustin Poirier fight where Poirier threw yeah. an uppercut way outside and then got hit with the? Uh, they tell you never to lead with an uppercut for that mm. reason because if you just sort of stand there and then throw the uppercut, you, your defenses are probably going to be down on that same side, obviously, right? Because the hand is out in front of you and you haven't done anything else to bring their hands up, so you can just yeah. get tagged with whatever the punch is. And he got drilled with one in the ninth round, sent to his knees. And then Mark Moxayo didn't do anything to really jump on him in the tenth, and the commentators were like, "Dude, like you're <laughs> hurting know. this guy. What are you doing?" He didn't. He, I will he tell wasn't. You, I, and Vargas was on unsteady. I didn't feel like he had his bearings until the next no. round. So, like, yeah. But here's the thing: Moxayo got to this point where I think this was a mandatory. Although, obviously, um, you know, it would turn Vargas into a two-eight world champion. But what was interesting about the bout was Moxayo in the previous contest fought Gary Russell Jr., who is a Washington mm-hmm. D.C. product who is very, very skilled, but he broke his hand, his jab hand, or no, sorry, what am I saying? He messed up his shoulder. His So I'm left-handed, so he messed up, Gary Russell Jr. did his right shoulder, which is obviously leading into That's your right. jab. So Gary Russell Jr. couldn't jab for like 10 rounds, right. barely I've ever seen it. it. Yeah. And Maxayo still like didn't turn on the gas. Like this dude, Maxayo, when he throws and he was intercepting, he can bomb on Bama's, like he can throw. But there's a little bit of a question about the decision-making going on or some fight IQ issues. I hate to put it those ways, but it's a little bit true. Mm. And this was a split decision. You wonder, it's like, if he had turned it on just a little bit more at the end there, A, could have gotten a stoppage because his power's legit, and B, maybe gotten the decision nod. So it tells you he's like at that championship level, but hasn't quite fully turned that corner, if that makes sense. Those types of losses are that you know he won the first one against Russell, but like they, that type of performance has got to stick with you too when you know that you, especially in this last fight. Um, and if you're a protege, right, and like that's kind of that's kind of why people are paying attention to Filipino protege of uh, Pac Man, and and you're getting yep. that rub. God, you just want to see him capitalize in the moments they should. You know what I mean? Like uh, he should be. I, I felt like you know he should be a bigger name, and I know it's kind of difficult. Um, to get some of these guys over to the broader public and especially the combat public in general. But, like, he should be a bigger name, man. Um, just watching his fights previously, I, I know how good he is. So I, I wish he could uh, – I'm with you. I know what you're saying. Like, it feels like he's a little withheld when he shouldn't be. Folks don't even know how fight crazy the Philippines are in general. Obviously, they they have more than just, you know, um, they have Casemiro and a lot of other good boxers from the Philippines and, and have had a good long history for a long time. But – just on the MMA side of things, let me explain something to you folks out there. When Pacquiao was like, not even like pre-Floyd, like around Hatton or De La Hoya, you know this too, uh, Chuck, on MMA mm-hmm. fighting, we would put up some results post, like, you know, uh, Pacquiao yes. versus whoever the fuck, and we would watch the traffic pour in. But I want to explain where it came from. Yes, a lot for the United States and all the places where people are boxing fans. He was a worldwide name for, obviously, in his peak. 
But, dude, we would you can see the location of where we would come in, and there would be this, like, these it's old crazy. school, uh, like, forum pages, all based in the Philippines. Someone in the Philippines would link an MMA fighting post or whatever, and the traffic would pour in like zombies running over the hills. <laughs> You couldn't believe uh, how much traffic was coming from these places. Do the Philippines? Obviously, uh, Pacquiao is a very special case, but the yeah. level of enthusiasm there for their fighters is extraordinarily high. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because I think that we equate, uh, you know, really enthusiastic, uh, enthusiastic fandom to like Ireland or the UK, right? Like places where you can um, they get a guy and or they get several fighters and you can see it. But I feel like that's true, and Pacquiao obviously is a big reason for that in the Philippines. My brother was stationed over there for a long time, and uh, it, when he was in the military, and um, he'd mentioned this, you know, that they were they were kind of like whatever national heroes they get, you know, who have come up and do things, they they really get behind, and their fan their level of fandom is kind of unmatched. So it's a uh, it's not surprising to be honest, man. Um, but I guess that's why I guess that's why you would have liked to you. I, I kind of I don't want to see a guy who's that good not be as good as he can because I always think that that's healthy for the fight game in general um, when you get guys who basically represent a country like that you know what I mean like when they represent a country and you can feel that enthusiasm coming out of that country that is always a win-win for combat sports do you remember when UFC wanted to go to the Philippines with Brandon Vera yeah remember that yes yeah yeah I remember that and they did briefly uh, not with him I don't think but they went with uh I think it was Edgar and Faber fought in Manila if memory God, that's serves. right yes yeah um, I believe you're right and and the, I think one might one championship obviously Brendan Vera has been with him for a long time was the heavyweight champion and I think they went but it, you know you're asking about UK and Ireland I, you know the US the the sport is still western centric in terms of where the money is and obviously the yeah. Philippines is, you know, by comparison, a poor country. But it would be nice to be able to see, like, we never got to see Pacquiao fight in yeah. Manila or whatever, which, you know, there's obviously good reasons for that. But it is it is a quietly, very powerfully enthusiastic combat sports hub. Uh, I didn't realize it was that enthusiastic. Like, I didn't realize the traffic on those. I, I love that you know that stuff because... Uh, you used to monitor it. Um, I never really monitored yeah. it, but that's uh, our old boss. That's really I, interesting. Our old boss and I would just look at it and be like, "What the fuck?" You Damn, know? man! <laughs> like well, thousands per, like tens of thousands per, like second. Just wow! Just tidal waves. Because you always see these MMA fans complain, like, "Why are y'all covering this Pacquiao fight? Fuck y'all!" And we'd be like, "Well, <laughs> because we why. can sell a month's worth of ad inventory yeah. in one fucking night when he fights. That's why it's it was that simple, you know." Now, I did yeah. want to mention something. I did want to mention something. Also on this card, I don't know if you saw it. If you didn't, it's okay. But Brandon Figueroa, who previously lost to Stephen Fulton Jr. in a fight of the year contest, he moved up one weight class, and then this was his return fight. And I noticed something with him. I guess I had seen it not as much in the Fulton fight. Here he is taking on his opponent, Castro, Carlos Castro. And I, I tweeted about it. I, I couldn't record my screen. I'm going to put up something about it. Let me tell you something I noticed, Chuck. And I don't know if you have any thoughts okay. about it. Probably not because it just occurred to me. So we always talk about how stance switching and these sort of funky things where in MMA, you know this as well as I do. People and the trainers are always tinkering with stuff. Right? What's a little little twist we can do on this technique or this grip or this step or whatever? And so you get a lot of crazy development. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. But one thing I've noticed is you're getting um, you know, a lot more boxing sensibility. Guys like Adrian Yanez who come out and 
you know, openly tell you that they study boxers and then sort of bring that stuff into the MMA game and it's happening. Now, I don't know, in fact, it probably is not the case at all that MMA is influencing boxing. But one thing I can say that I have seen fairly Hmm. regularly at this point is, number one, I am watching a lot more stance switching in boxing than I have ever seen. Now, it's been happening for a long time. Famously, Hagler did it. Lots of guys have done it. Mm -hmm. But it's usually in the way like Dustin Poirier might do it, where it's very short and windowed. It's got a real specific purpose, usually distance closing, you know, that kind of a thing. So I'm seeing a lot more of it in boxing, and I'm seeing it very, very heavily concentrated among boxers in their 20s, which I don't Hmm. mean to suggest they do it out of naivete. Far from it. I have a feeling that this next wave of boxers coming up are going to be doing stance switching significantly more than their predecessors man. ever did. Now, I could be totally wrong about that, but I tweeted about it, and a lot of the boxing heads said I was kind of onto something. If I am right, let's assume for the second mm-hmm. that I am right. What do you make of that? I think it's interesting. Now, you tell me, because I know that you, uh, you, you've you talked to a lot of trainers and stuff like that, but I do feel like there are a lot more boxing trainers who train MMA guys, right? Like, more than they, there used to be. Way more. Um, yeah, so it's like, I do feel like there's a crossover, and it would just be natural at some point when you're discussing, you know, best best tactics in terms of, like, uh, getting off your offense on the feet, like, right, for it to translate into boxing if they see the success, right, in MMA. So I wouldn't be surprised, and it's almost like what with MMA has done where for the longest time you had that singular discipline or maybe you had something you were very good at um, and you, you kind of stuck to that, but then there was this age where certain guys were like, no, 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 I got into jujitsu and Muay Thai at the same time. I learned all of it at the exact same time. You almost wonder if it, if it starts to happen, like a little bit of an evolution where, um, you, you see somebody doing it, maybe it is MMA influence, maybe it's not, but the, 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 you know, switching stances and stuff like that proves effective. And then pretty soon it just becomes part of the norm for a 20 year old who's learning, right? Like you just start to see it as part of what you're supposed to do, um, I do think that these two things intersect more than we realize, you know, and a, a lot of it is because the trainers, you know, they work in both fields. You know what I mean? They see what, what's effective. They break down a lot of tape. Uh, there's so many guys in the gym now who, co- who coach both things. So uh, I, I could see that for sure, man, especially with the guys who are the impressionable guys coming up and they're trying to find new advantages. You know what I mean? So that would make sense. There's a guy out of Philly, by the way, he's boys with Sean Brady. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Jerron Ennis. He's a boxer. Okay. Um, He's the mandatory for Errol Spence, and mm. you know, obviously they're probably going to do Spence Crawford, but uh, in terms of one of Spence's titles, he's the mandatory. He's the best up-and-coming boxer, I think, on, on the planet, independent of weight class. Yeah. Um, but so, so, number one, Trent I didn't know Sean he was Brady boys with... Uh, I didn't know he was boys with Brady. That's crazy, man. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that wild? Like, go look on their yeah. comments. They always comment on each other on their, all their Instagram posts, and we talk, I talked to them about it. Like they, um, <laughs> for like a couple of camps ago, Jerron Ennis was holding pads for Sean Brady in terms yeah. of getting his boxing work in. Like, dude, they're pretty closely associated. And he might be not only just the best up-and-coming boxer independent of weight class, he's also an incredible stance switcher. I don't know what the explanation is, but to me it is very interesting and unusual that all these guys in their 20s, not 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 exclusively, not exclusively, but predominantly in their 20s, are doing not just the occasional stance switch, but making a big habit and show of it in a way that their predecessors are not could also just be like the digital era where you can just see so many crazy things and people are wanting to try yeah. it and it's working. And then that's a good you know, point. To your point. Yeah. Everyone's a copycat. I don't know what the answer is, but I want folks out there to pay attention. If you see two guys yeah. in their twenties, pay attention to something like that. 
God, I, I just, I would encourage everybody. I told Brian this too when we were, we were talking some boxing the last time I filled in for you, I think. Like, pay attention to the boxing. I think that at this point, like, you can appreciate it. And it's at the best, I think it's at the most healthy uh, mark it's been in for a long, long time, man, with all the names, all the all the brilliant champions and good challenges that are coming up. I just feel like it's in a very healthy space and it feels like it has a resurgence and there's a little bit of a boom a boom period, you know what I mean? So um, pay attention to it, man. It's fun. All right. Well, it's no longer time for you and us to be asking each other questions. Although all right. We'll probably keep doing it. It's time for the viewers to ask us. It's time for DMs from Donks. Hee-haw. All that good stuff. I might I might drag all my vape. I love Put this. some vape on top of my coat. Yeah. All right. Uh, now, uh, for the producers watching, because we didn't get to this question during the RDA segment, we're going to do the six questions today. So very quickly, right. I guess we'll start with point number five. This is from Nate the Great Lux. So to the point that we had raised previously, Chuck... If he ends his career today, let's say he has a press conference and calls it a day, does RDA go into the Hall of Fame? And I want to point this out before you answer it. Okay. I've had a, not a debate because I, I, I kind of dismissed it offhand at first. And then when BC went through it, it made a lot of sense. BC argues that um, RDA's case for getting into the Hall of Fame is greater than Michael Bisping's. And I, I don't have an issue with Bisping getting Ooh. in such as it is. But if he's going to be in, BC's point is RDA is <sighs> a shoe in. What do you think? That's a great way to look at it because I feel like what Bisping's, they have a very similar thing other than Bisping winning it in the twilight of his career and obviously having a crazy story with his eye. I don't even know how all that factors in um, to the to the general Hall of Fame thing. But, I, you know, we've, we've had this discussion before, too. But that is the closest, closest example if you're asking for a guy like Dos Anjos to get in because he's fought the who's who. He's did it for a long time. He actually spent time as a champion. And him winning that champion, let, let's put it this way, man. The, the ass whooping he put on Anthony Pettis at UFC 185 was one of the most memorable things from years. Because it was just something I'd never seen. you just never seen Anthony Pettis work that way. He had the one defense against Cerrone. Um, and then, you know, and, then it, and I think that was the uh, Eddie Alvarez fight. So, like, you get, like, you could look at his run as pretty, pretty short. But you just look at the guys he's faced and if you're building on merit, like the merit of just facing every guy, scoring victory, some good victories, um, you lose a few, but you're standing in there against all of them, I suppose you could make the case. But now are we talking like, you're talking about the actual UFC Hall of Fame, right? Is that what yes. we're talking about? Because yes, I'm mean like, correct. now I say this as kind of like a, a like if it was an independent Hall of Fame, like, it, like where, you know, those types of things would matter. From the UFC's perspective... I'm not sure how they'd see it, but I think that that Bisping reference you made, if you're going to put Bisping in there, honestly, man, if you're going to do that, there's really no reason a guy like uh, RDA, he would not be a slam dunk. I think that there are so many other guys, um, and there's really no like timetable. Like You don't have to have a time lapse of four years or whatever it is in, in this sport. Yeah. So, But there are so many other guys who are kind of recently um, leaving the game and all that stuff that might get in before him, but I would think that he would have a pretty strong case. I mean, dude, after he lost to Tebow, you know, which was all the way back in 2011, he beat Kamal Shalarus, Anthony Njikawani, Mark Bocek, Evan Dunham, Donald Cerrone, then lost to Habib, which whatever, he lost to Habib. Yeah. Then goes to and beats Jason Hyde, Benson Henderson, Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis, and Donald Cerrone. So really the only blemish there would be the Habib fight. Yeah. And dude, I, I can't overstate this. You, you put it out there. Dude, the beating he put on Pettis was extraordinary. 
in every phase of the game, and it was a brutal one on top of it. And I don't know if a lot of folks... I remember the... This was... Correct me if I'm wrong. This was right after they gave Pettis the Wheaties box, right? It was something like yes. that. Yes. 100% it was. And then it Dos Anjos went in there and roughed him up. Like, I have put, a tremendous respect for that guy. They put they put Pettis on the Wheaties box in December. I was at that event. I remember them unveiling it in Vegas. I think this fight happened in March. So it was like, you know, it was literally the next event. But yes, it, I think that Pettis was at it. Like, again, he faced a lot of guys who I think were at the very top of their game um, when he faced them. And that Pettis one, I just remember the... Dude, I, I should go back and watch it sometime. But the way he just kind of, like, that pressure, it was... It was relentless. You know what I mean? It was just straight relentlessness. It was, it was, it was an those, awesome It was display. one of those times where you're like, dude, Pettis is trapped in there with him. He's trapped yes. in there with him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and by the way, I'll, I bring this up too. So he lost the Alvarez fight. You know, and Eddie, Eddie had his moment in the sun, and I, I don't take that away from him at all. Uh, and then, of course, RDA followed that with the Ferguson loss. But I bring this up too. That was like peak Ferguson. That was in Mexico 100%. City, five rounds in, you know, above 7,000 feet elevation. And. You know, Ferguson at that point was nearly impossible to beat at at that weight. Um, yeah. So you know, the guy never shied away from a tough challenge. All right. So you uh, think how he about should this? Be in. To the you UFC Hall of Fame? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, yeah, I do. All right. All right. Uh, to Punch Drunk Pete on last week's show, Luke praised Donald Cerrone as one of the very best fighters to have never captured UFC gold. In your opinion, I'll pitch this to you, Chuck. They asked for top five. You don't have to give me five, but you okay. give me like three. Three, give me three people in UFC history that never became a champion that was like the, the very best you could think of. I, I had Cerrone as one of those. What else would you okay. say? Maybe, I mean, I always mention Dan Henderson. Like, um, his, his, his thing was a little weird because he came over later in his career, but like he had the opportunities. I thought, I just thought that he would be a shoe-in to, to win gold at some point. He just never, he just never got it done. I suppose you could throw like Joseph Benavides in there because I mean I felt yep. like they created the flyweight division for him to rule, and it just never happened. It became Demetrius Johnson's show, and he was just like this man without a country because he'd already lost in bantamweight. But he seemed like a shoe in at some point. Like I thought he was the best, but there was always one guy who was just better in in the division. So I would probably put his name in there too. Um, I'll, I'll throw in because they put yeah, undisputed. So I'll throw in Poirier in that list as well. Ooh, um, that's a good one, man. Now, he is not out of the running for a title. He's obviously not so far yeah. away from it. But in terms of where we're speaking right now, that would be a name you would want to put in there as well. I think. Now, do we consider Tony Ferguson, like, having won one? I mean, it was, like, such a bizarre... No, no yeah. because it was interim. So you could put Tony... Yeah. Tony so I'd, prob I'd probably put him in. I mean, that run was ridiculous. In that division. Yeah. So I'd probably throw him in there, too. Uh, my daughter is turning back into a pumpkin, which means it's nap time. Uh, oh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> from, you, might, you might hear her just pointing it out. From uh, David underscore Areola one. If Yair wins versus Ortega, which is this coming weekend on uh, NB or ABC, excuse me, do you think Volk will stick around at featherweight to take on a new challenger, or will he still go to lightweight? What do you think? Ooh. Oh man, that's a great one. Um, I think so. I feel I'm like... going to answer that one. Yes. Okay. Quickly, Chuck. I'll say yes, okay. and the reason why is because we still. We don't really have a champion at 155 pounds. They kind of have to sort that a little bit. Yes. If Yair wins, it's new. You can sell it. It's exciting. And it gives him just enough time to set that in motion and then go to 155, depending on the result there. That's true. And even, I mean, I, Josh Emmett's still there, right? Like, 
you still got I, I don't know I don't I feel like going to 155 is premature honestly because there are guys who uh that could face him um I I think that you're right though I think the bigger issue is they need to sort out now you know that that lightweight division. It's crazy that one half what is it half a pound whatever has like thrown such a uh, a monkey wrench into so many guys' careers that want to do these like all these things going on. But but it's just like I think that they got to sort that out too. Like it, I don't know what the rush would be to be honest. All right, uh, from Cole underscore Brown eight five eight. If you could go back and watch any MMA slash boxing event live, I guess they mean in person. Okay, uh, which one would it be? This guy goes. 205 or UFC 287? Has UFC 287 happened yet? <laughs> no, it hasn't. Uh, he's projecting. You know, that's going to oh, be a good 187. One. 187. Okay, I will tell you right. this. If I could go back and watch anything live, it sure as fuck wouldn't be MMA. I would go back to, uh, like, the Rumble in the Jungle or something like that. Oh, Rolling God. Bola. Some oh, Ali dude. fight, you know? Well, those those fights particularly, they're just, they've been transcended into lore, right? Like, everybody compares anything that comes up to, you know, Frazier versus Ali and all these things. So, yes, to see one of those types of fights or the Foreman one, like you mentioned, just given, like, for me, man, like, the types of writers who were there, like, you know, Norman Mailer and George Plimpton and all the people who who went uh, over to Africa to see that, to be among that, you know, that, that atmosphere and just the whole thing, that would be pretty crazy. I'd probably go back to the Dempsey Carpenter, like, um, first million-dollar gate, like, two, like 1920s, you know, like, see what that was like. Because, first of all, you're seeing what life was like in the 1920s, but you'd be then watching boxing in its most formative moment. You know what I mean? Like, where you're seeing, like, a, one of the biggest events that had ever happened at that moment. So, it would, but it would definitely be an old boxing event. It would not be an MMA. There's just too much history to boxing. Yeah, also, it's like, I've lived through most of MMA's history. I That's true. A lot of people missed yes. it. I, I did, I, you know. I suppose, and it's funny, like, the one that I regret not going in terms of MMA is UFC 1, because I actually lived in Denver in 1993. I remember seeing the signs, but you just didn't pay any attention to it. You know what I mean? I was like, I, I just ignored it. But if I could go back, I'd obviously hit that one, because that would that would have been cool to have seen. Uh, all right, from, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's either Slimmy Limmy or Slimy Limey. I have a feeling I know which one it is. But uh, <laughs> if you could ask three questions to Dana that he would have to answer truthfully, like he was Jim Carrey and Liar Liar, what would those be? Give me one from you, Chuck. Oh, so he's man. Got, like, so you've Dude. given him a truth serum, and he has to tell the truth. Holy shit. Can you imagine? Oh, there's so, Well, the, I think that I would ask him, just because we've dealt with him I don't know when you started. I've dealt with him for 14, 15 years in some some capacity. I would ask him point blank what he believes the role of media is in the sport. I would just like to know what his answer is to this. Like I would like to know what he really believes. And if he couldn't lie about it, I would just like to know what he really believes media should be in the sport. It's interesting. And the role of media has changed since we got in, yeah. too. You know, there's a lot more people doing it the way I was doing it before, which was kind of on the periphery. It used to be like... You had to go to the events. You had to be part of the action. Exactly. Being there was considered the most prestigious thing. And now, certainly, there is prestige associated with that. But there's all different ways, in fact, to skin this cat. Um, and I think a lot of it is the policies that they've put in place. They've kind of forced media to be a little bit like, yeah, I'm not going to go to the event. Versus before, it was like, if you got your credentials taken, that was the end. Now it's like, <laughs> yeah, true. Not that, not that it's great to have your credentials taken or anything like that. But and by the way, a UFC doesn't really do that hardly. I haven't seen hardly at all anymore. But I know that they still have many blocks on the books. But, um, but uh, now I don't think like, Dana. I don't think Dana cares anymore enough for that sort of thing. So <laughs> I also think I also th- I have a, I don't know this for a fact. I have a feeling Disney is like 
you can do what you want with a lot of things. There's some things you can't do. Yeah. Um, so I think there's some True. of that. I, that's one question I would ask. I'd ask another one. Oh, man, there's a, there's some I can't. They're not even yeah. suitable for air. Um, oh, those um, are the best kind, Luke. Yeah, I know. It's like, ask the one that gets you fired. Um, what's one that I would ask? Um, I would, it would be around fighter pay, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably something along the lines of, um, do you, uh, you know, here's a question. It's like, does he, does he genuinely believe that what they pay is a suitable rate? Because the way he kind of right. talked about it, like the boxers, it was like, oh, they're all overpaid. It'd be one thing to be like, oh, they're underpaid and I disagree. It'd be another one to be like, um, like he just genuinely <laughs> believes that 20% or actually less than that, 17 to 18%, that that's a fair market rate. Um, I don't know how you get him to a- tell a truthful question that way. Yeah. Um, but probably along I mean, those lines, I would ask if, if he can't lie, I mean, you could straight up just ask him, like, hey, what's the biggest the biggest fleece job you ever did? Which card was it that, like, you fleeced everybody yeah. the, the most? Well, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, any of the numbers would be fascinating oh. if he can't lie. I mean, it would just be like... And here's you know. the thing. You know, the, it, there's plenty of questions to ask about Dana, but every promoter lies. Like, you just can't be a promoter sure. in boxing or... Oh, no, you got to be a good liar promoters. to be a good promoter, yeah. you know? you got yeah. to finesse. So I would yeah. ask him, what's the lie that you got away with the most? Like, what's the one that the public just bought that you knew <laughs> was like, wow, they accept Jesus. Okay, great. You know, you know. I'd well, you know like there's that. something like that that they go behind closed doors and they laugh about. You know what I mean? Like, you know there's some that, – that would be fascinating to have that answer. All right. Uh, last but not least, from Four Paws Run, which I'm guessing is uh, some kind of dog org – most most important question of all, they ask you for Luke and BC, but it'll be for Chuck. Chuck, what's your favorite okay. breed of dog? Oh God. Uh well, I I have never I've always had like mutts and I have a pit bull like mix right now. Like uh so I I, I mean I like I like uh rescues, you know. I like to <laughs> go get it red. But if you're asking me what like I've always liked Boston Terriers, like when I see them, I can't I always have to go uh, you know, pet them and 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 talk to them. Uh, I was trying to think. We my my father had boxer um, boxer dogs, which were really cool. So they'd probably be up there. Have an affinity towards them. How about you? I'll say this: growing up, I liked hounds a lot, bloodhounds, mm. um, southern uh, man, Weimar, yeah, Weimariners, pointers, <laughs> yeah. that kind of a thing. Yeah. But then, and I, I, you know, obviously, I have a soft spot for uh, mastiffs. I think they're fucking awesome, but. The reality is this, dude. There's no such thing as a dog breed. I mean, there are in the sense that we have, we have made it that way, but they are not naturally occurring. These, all those breeds, they're just inbred. And I know sometimes folks like reject that, or that's news to them. No, no, no. I'm not <laughs> making it up. They're all inbred. That's why all these breeds have, like, for example, bulldogs can't even have like live natural birth. They all have to be C-section because the head is too large. They all have, they all get cancers and hip dysplasias and everything. You want to get yeah. a mutt. You want to get a mutt. You should go to your local pound and your shelter and go get one. They're the best dogs. They need a little bit of help. You know, sometimes they come a little fucked up, you know, but uh, oh, yeah. nothing that you can't fix with some with some diligent training and you're not going to get an inbred dog. I have two mutts out here, one's 12, one's 16. Going strong, dude. And most, yeah. most bulldogs don't see past eight or nine for crying out loud. That's true. That is true. The rescue's the way to go, man. 
Uh, all right. Before we call it a day here, this is something we haven't done in a while but because BC and I have gotten a little bit lazy about it. But we don't have Have You Seen This Shit, which is a BC special. <laughs> Folks are like, why don't you do that? I'm like, because I don't have time to go over hoagie farts. I feel, yeah, I feel like he spends his whole Sunday like uh, you know finding those clips, man. You know yes. what I mean? That's a, that's a BC specialty. And people fill up his inbox and his DMs with dong pics and shit like that. I mean, that's a, D, that's a BC thing. <laughs> so, and you guys wonder we, the way he, he's the way he yeah. is. Come on. What we will do is we'll do a little bit of odds and ends to wrap the show here. So, Chuck, I'll let you go first. What's a story or some kind of note you want to have that we haven't talked about yet on today's show? Well, today is July 11th, and in 2009, that was UFC 100. Can you believe that it's been 13 wow. years I since UFC 100? We're talking about, like, the passage of time on these things, and that kind of blows me away, man. Um, to me, that was, like, <clears throat> still such a big event in my mind, as it was coming up, I know everybody treated it that way. They were doing, uh, I think the Fox deal had just started or something because they were doing like, uh, maybe not, maybe not. But no, there was some promos. There was like 2010 that's right, or 2011. Right. So, but I just remember the promos heading into it. And it was like, wow, 100 pay-per-views. They had Brock Lesnar on that card. Um, in his rematch with Frank Mir, they had uh, GSP was fighting Tiago Alves. They had the Dan Henderson, Michael Bisping. It was like this very stacked card. Only three of those fighters from that are still active to my to my mind. And I could be wrong about this, but I was looking this back up. I think Sexy Yama had a fight fairly recently. Yes, So he, he is still he's still going on in some capacity. Jim Miller doesn't seem like he's stopping anytime soon. He'll probably fight at UFC 300, you know, and do all of the all the benchmarks. And then you have John Jones, who we were mentioning earlier. But that's pretty crazy, isn't it? Like, there's still three of them left. Um... But I was only I was thinking of it just because of the way that MMA was in that day. The one thing I remember the most, tell me if you remember this, Dana said if it sold over a million pay-per-views that he would jump off the top or he'd do like a base jump off the top of Mandalay Bay. And he was serious about it, but he never actually did that. 13 years later, yeah, he well, still he has not jumped off. He didn't jump off the rock into the water that one time. I don't know if yes. you saw BC finds <laughs> it hilarious. Uh, but, dude, I, I, I will yeah. tell you, UFC 100 was like, dude, that, I don't know how you felt. And I was still more in the fan mode of my existence at that time. But Same. That was yeah. a fun time. That was a fun time. It was, man. Sport. Remember Brock? He's all fro- frothing out of the mouth, and he's like, when yeah. you get on my wife. Dude, I always say this. Like, dude, Brock jolted the electricity into that sport. And not that, did, not that it was doing poorly. I don't mean that. But, like, he, he ratcheted it up a level or two. And that was, <laughs> you know, a frightening performance that he had there against Frank Mir. And then the horseshoe up his ass. And then he had to apologize for saying, I'm <laughs> going right. to get a Coors Light and all that That's shit, right. You know? Yes. Uh, oh, God. These were talking points for, like, weeks after that. I remember. Uh, well, I have less uh, pleasant news, unfortunately. For me, I want to talk very quickly, if we can, about Bigfoot, or a.k.a. And, well, I should say, his name is Antonio Silva, but we call him Bigfoot. Yeah. He's 42 years of age, and shit is going badly for him. He did have a win over Solo Palele in U- at UFC 190 in, in August of 2015, but prior to that had basically four losses in a row. Um, well, three and then a no contest. Then he lost to Mark Hunt, TKO, Stefan Struve, KO, Roy Nelson, KO, Ivan Sturkov. Uh, decision, but it was a loss. Then he lost to Vitaly Minikov. Then he lost to some dude named Quentin Domingos. Then he lost to some dude recently uh, called Oleg Popov. And he also has a bare knuckle, two bare knuckle losses. One also mm. happened. Uh, this was a bare knuckle loss that, or I guess they called it bare knuckle, but it's boxing or whatever the fuck it is. Here on July 8th, he lost to uh, Datsik, who actually has a win over Arlovsky from long ago, as, one, as well as one to Gabriel Gonzaga. And he's got 
a kickboxing uh, loss that happened, a KO loss. That was a 2017. He's got another one coming up in boxing, I think, in two weeks, three weeks. Um, Jesus. Dude, wow. someone out there needs <laughs> to give him a job because it's not just about not him fighting anymore. He, like, this is not the point to stop fighting. The point to stop fighting was years ago. Oh, yeah. And his, I'm telling you, he's probably got, and I don't say this lightly or gleefully or with joy or with any medical certainty, but with probably a fair amount of suspicion, he's probably got severe CTE and he is going to have a rough go of it from here on out. And anybody who cares about him who's in a position to do something desperately needs to. Oh, man, it's brutal. It is brutal to kind of see a guy like that going, especially because he fights in a heavyweight division. And some of those knockouts are so vicious, man. And he's strung together so many of them. I can remember the second time Cain Velasquez beat him, already having these thoughts about, like, dude, if he, you know, how how much of that do you want to take? Because he just was so obliterated. And that was years and years ago, man. He's been knocked out so many times since then. Um, there needs to be an intervention, man. And people are asking, like, how's he getting these licenses? Well, he, dude, he couldn't get a license in North America anywhere. No. He's going to places where he doesn't necessarily need one. That, that's how he's getting around it. And that won't last forever either. Like, this train will come to a stop eventually at some point, too. The question is how much more damage will be accrued Ugh. before something actually happens. And you go, I don't say this like, oh, it's so easy to solve this problem. I don't. But, like, as a rule in combat sports, you have to be against this. You know, this is abuse, whether it's self-inflicted or or not is not really the issue per se, although it certainly changes it to some degree if it is self-imposed. But it's abuse. He's taking abuse. And you cannot allow this to continue. So um, I don't know what's going to happen, but I have a very, very, very bad feeling about Ugh. the way this is all going to turn out. And I worry greatly. And I really, really, really hope somebody can do something to help him because he's going to need it pretty badly. And I mean, um, he's 40, 42 years old. What's the? Yeah, it's easy dude, for I me remember, to say, but come on, man. It's like, what are, you, that, what are you trying to do at this point? And also, like, I, dude, I remember Bigfoot when he was a force to be reckoned with too. I was there the night he beat Fedor. I remember sure, in New that. Jersey. I remember him. Yep. Yes, and then passing to Mount, and then just bombing on him. I remember, yep. I, dude. He lost to Verdum um, a little bit before that, but he rocked Verdum super badly in that fight. Mm -hmm. Like, dude, it was he. And, and do you remember the win over uh, Overeem when Overeem was like coming in hot? And I think I talked oh a bunch God. of shit about him. And totally then Herb Dean had to get in the way. And there's there. that picture of him menacing over, you know? Yes. Yes. I remember. I mean, the, the, the glorious moments of his career, I, you know, I was there for most of them. I mean, like you're saying, you say back in that day when you're just kind of getting rolling, you're at all the events and all that stuff. It was, uh, he had his moment, but it's just, dude, I mean, like you said, he, he should have been out of the game five, six years ago. I don't know. It's just, it is abuse at this point, man. It's hard to watch. And there is a familial thing to the guys that you grew up with and you watch and you've, you've been around them. You know, man, you, you care for these people. I've talked to him before. Like, you know, the people, you know, people that he's been around is, you know, like over the years, you just, you just don't want to, you don't want to see this, man. You don't want to see him. Um, I don't know. I, I think you're right. Like he's, I don't want to see where he's going to end up. You know what I mean? At this point. Without significant help, you know, yeah. without significant help. Uh, well, that's it for today's show, Chuck. You did a great job, my friend. Well, anything Thanks, you man. want to plug on today's program before we get out of Not here? Not really. No, I'm just kidding. I, uh, <laughs> you, I, you can catch us uh, on the Ringer MMA show, which is on Spotify Live. Uh, we do that usually Thursdays. And Saturday after big events, I know we go head to head with you, Luke. So I'm sorry about that. Um, so we, yeah, we do those. We do that, and uh, that's about it, man. 
that's that's what I'm up to. Well, you're doing a great job. We appreciate it. I want to remind everyone, if you want Showtime, Showtime.com. Get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. You can go to morningcombat.store. We don't sell any hats that are like Chuck's, but we should, and then just steal your gimmick. Oh, yes. Uh, they're asking me to vote. Hold on. I can't see on this thing because there we go. Uh, yes. Want everyone to vote. We are up for the People's Choice Awards. I think best male-hosted podcast, and then I think best overall podcast as wow. well. Um, More awards. Do we have a graphic for it? What's that? Do we, I'm asking the, the production team. Do we have oh, a okay. graphic for it? I don't think we do. Oh, yeah, and Best Sports. No, we don't have a graphic yet. We'll put up one. Uh, yeah, Best Male Hosted and Best Sports Podcast. So be on the lookout for that. I'll, I'll tweet a link at L. Thomas News afterwards where you guys can go and vote. Yeah, dude, we, we don't, you know, we're, we win awards. I mean, it's kind of yes, funny. Yes, like, we, There's a lot of things we don't do very well, but we do that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Like when you got, when you got the MMA, uh, whatever it is, <laughs> the World, World MMA Award, I said, mm-hmm. I at least deserve, like, uh, you know, the foot the foot of that because I was a small part of it. You know what I mean? Uh, that's fair. So. We can, we can. Talk that <laughs> off. Thanks man. Uh, but all right. So that's it for us. Want to thank Malka. Want to thank Showtime. Want to thank CBS sports. BC will be back on Wednesday. Um, so he's not going to be gone too long. He sends his regards. He had to do something with his kids today. So uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, but he'll be back on Wednesday and Chuck, we will see you when we see you, but we'll have you back in studio. I'm sure in no time. I appreciate yes, you stopping sir. by today. A lot of fun, brother. Thank you, man. There he is. So for Chuck Mendenhall, Brian Campbell, and the rest of the crew, I'm Luke Thomas. We'll see you all next time. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.